This is iFanboy pick of the week number 800. Brought to you by Second Print Comics. Go to secondprintcomics.com or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And iFanboy listeners just like you who are washing their hands, wearing their masks, getting vaccinated. And we're live to tape. This is live. It's always live, to be honest. But other people are watching and listening to us to be live. Anyway, start the music. Welcome to iFanboy Pick of the Week podcast. This is episode 800. Woo! 800. That's the part where I've basically been telling people in real life, I was like, I have to, we have to do our 800th episode this week. My wife was like, you are kidding me. Yeah. You've I, been doing this thing. for 800. I'm Josh Flanagan. I, I felt every one of them. <laughs> that was like, there was a darkness to the way that you said that. But let me <laughs> let people know who you are, and then we'll move along. I'm Josh Flanagan. I'm here with my co-host, Connor Kilpatrick, who's Hello, been here everybody. For- 787 of them for with me, I think. A lot, a lot of them. A lot of that. And over here, Dr. Ryan Haupt, sitting in the Ron Richards Memorial third chair this week. Hello, we miss him. Ron's here with us, gone but not forgotten. Well, you know, <laughs> but you're here. It's good. It's good. Don't worry. You know, don't worry about him. That's yeah. fine. Yeah. I'm, I'm the We're Rob Lowe to his Mark Brandanowitz. We are a fanboy. We like comics, and every week we read a bunch of comics, and one of us picks the one that they like the best. That is called the pick of the week. Listen, that's not science. That's you, you say. Eight hundred in, you should know. It's art. What made you feel? Well, this one made me feel. Was it the best comic? Mm-hmm. It's the pick of the week, though. That's what I know. We call it that. That's the pick of the week. That's our. Well, it's not a trademark. It's we. We never thought about doing that. Never did another, that. Other mm-hmm. people have used it. I, yeah. I'm sure it was trademarked. I'm sure we're probably in violation somewhere. We were to talk Whoa. about that. We talk about other books from the week, except for this week. We won't be doing that because this is an all email special edition thing that we do. Every time we get to one of these, is it 50s and every 100s? 50, every 50. We make you people write in a bunch of emails and we answer them basically as long as we can hold out. Yeah. So if you, if you somehow hit your head and stumbled on this show, this is not the normal show. Come next week or the week before. Well, not really the week before. That was with some random dude. But uh, <laughs> this next week would be like a more like a normal show. Yeah. yeah. But that's the thing. You don't know what you're going to get. So there's going to be spoilers in the couple of books that we are going to talk yeah. about. It's very possible there will be spoilers in other things we talk about. I don't know that. If you're super sensitive to it, I think it's worth it in this point to just get over it and enjoy the show. That's what I think you should do because we're not going to worry about it right now. Yeah, it's true. Connor... Now, a lot of times Connor has pick of the week is not a big deal, but this week that meant that he had to read everything and Ryan and I had to read nothing. I'd like to point out that I looked and the last time we did this, I also had to pick. Whatever you the get, numbers are, I keep getting it. You get off on these shows more than anybody else. So I, I like to do the shows, but I you know, I like to read two books. I got things to do. Well, to be fair, the last time I skipped a show, which was about a month ago, was a really big week. And this was the week that that payment was going to come due. (laughs) So now, four weeks from now, I'm in big trouble if I don't try to make up some ground. I had like 25 books. Yeah, it was a lot. The pick of the week was Batman Superman 22. And I'm not denigrating this book at all, but it was not a great week. So I'm 
kind of happy we didn't have to talk about a lot of books because it was a very like average week. I got to tell you, I don't want to steal your thunder or anything, but I read this book. It was the yeah. only book other than the patron pick that I read. Yeah. And there is a there's a I don't know if it's a page turn. I think it's a page turn where I went, oh, fuck, that is the pick of the week. And yeah, I was so, so glad that I didn't have to read anything else so that this could become pure because by the end of this issue, I was a thousand percent with you. It was a clear pick. I mean, even though the rest of the week was kind of average, this was a clear pick. Any other week, it's the pick of the week. I'm glad we're doing it on this episode. It's sort of quintessentially iFanboy in that we thought the annual was the last issue of this of oh. this run. This is the last issue of this run. Oh. So, so this is it, which is unfortunate. This is Gene Lu and Yang's run. He did about five or six issues on the regular book. They needed an annual, and now this one. And Ryan, you read all those too, right? Oh, yeah. And what's really a bummer is that he took this opportunity to really play with the form of comics in the way that you know most people just don't. The first one was all about parallel storytelling that came together. The annual was a flip book that came together in the middle, so it didn't matter which way you read it. They both would have read the same. And this issue involving Mr. Mixie's Pitalik and Calendar Man teaming up, unfortunately, slightly tied into the continuity of Batman, but we overlooked that. In this issue, Mr. Mixie's Pitalik allows calendar man to see the the truth of the reality uh, that they're living in boxes and these boxes are panels and so that's calendar the man calendar that's man right can look forward he looks into the gutter and can see what's coming or and on page nine of your digital reader he swings a club misses the guy but hits him in the next panel he's having a great time which josh do you remember i sent you a webcomic that was that same concept vaguely yeah, have, it was I like a, a guy. It was like a guy who was it was the, the the hero of the strip was able to see what was happening in other panels in the comic and able to affect events out of the temporal sequence of mm-hmm. the panels. As this was very reminiscent of that, but in yeah. a way that that played with it and riffed on it a little bit more than that one single page, you know, com- web comic could. What I think was cool here is that you know at first, so I can't. I went into this knowing it was pick of the week, so I was mm-hmm. like, "Well, I, I got to look for something for this to be." You start off with Mitch's Pitlick and Calendar Man, and I thought that's not really a thing that Connor would be like. Oh, this makes me feel amazing. And you know, Paul Pelletier is a he's sure. a good artist, but he doesn't blow my socks off. He's a very DC artist. So he says, "Look, they're all made of little boxes," and I was like, "Hey, the Weeds theme song." But then after that, <laughs> I they, thought that too. I thought that too. They, <laughs> they put the numbers in here, and I was like, and I didn't really get it. And then on that page seven, he looks outside of the panel to the to the reader's left, and he says, "Oh my God, there's the past." And I went, "Oh, ooh. Yeah. and it was like one of those, and that was okay. That was kind of cool because you can really blow it after that and have it be stupid. But the thing was is that he didn't. He he nope. kept expanding on the concept as he kept going. So he broke the panel downwards. He looked across to a different page. He, you know, he he succeeded in all of the things. Of course, he got outsmarted by Batman and Superman. Well, he gets the, he gets the editor's red pen and starts crossing stuff right. out. That it's, goes away. It slices his arm off. <laughs> you know, it got very silly. I don't know. It was just like the other ones. It, it was the perfect amount of silly and innovative and interesting and and that's still the same love letter because it's all sort of silver agey outside of those things. And then then Mr. Mixie's like turns to us in the Grant Morrison Animal right. Man way and yells at us right. for reading the same stories over and over and over that, again. And then that was the, the final bit. I was like, oh, he's talking <laughs> because, you know, it, it's really easy to do that stuff and be gimmicky and not do it. But I just, I was like, oh, I forget. This guy is literally a genius and we're seeing it. Yeah. Well, I, I'd have been thinking about um, Gene Luen Yang as a similar writer to Grant Morrison in his previous arc on this, because the idea of the auteur IO and the guy you know, with all the tape. You're really reels, right. 
I know from hearing interviews with both of them and actually, you know, interacting with both of them, they could not be more different as people. And so the fact that like they have this similar sort of high concept ability to tell these really far out comic stories in a way that still works is kind of impressive. One thing that I was thinking is that it was like a year and a half ago that I had this conversation, but I believe Yang has a degree in computer science. That's what he taught for a while. And I was going through this and I thought, oh, I can see that here. There's a real it's a formula. There's a logic to it, though, yeah. that I think I may have had a hard time seeing, but he sort of worked within that. And I, I'm not saying like, oh, you can totally sell these, but there's a different way of l- not even linear thinking, but like sort of looking at this from a different angle and pulling it around. And I just found it really well thought out. You know, a lot of people can have the idea, but to sort of execute on the concept through the whole thing and actually deliver a story with a narrative throughout it, I was really And the thing impressed. is, like, the story itself, you know, it's yeah. fine. Mr. Mixie's Piddlet grabs Calendar Man out of A Day, which was in the main Batman book where Joker attacks Arkham and kills everybody. And then he tries to help him, you know, fight Batman and Superman. It's fine. But what's really cool is the construction of it and the, the imagination of it and the culmination of this entire run in which he's really, really played with everything. Played with how you read a comic, how comics are laid out, how they're... I mean, I love the annual, which was a standard story, but... It's a little gimmick that you can read it mm-hmm. backwards or forwards, no matter which way you read it. It's, it works the same way. Like that's someone who really yeah. sits down and thinks about what they're doing. I, it also I really speaks to the, the strength of the Batman Superman title, because obviously we enjoy seeing those two characters play off of each other and their dynamic. But, you know, as this comic even makes the point, that dynamic is pretty tried and true at this point. And so what you can do to innovate in a book like this is find two villains that have never teamed up before, right. you know, a Batman villain, and a Superman mm-hmm. villain, and figure out what about the, those two villains could be interesting, could make them uneasy allies, could make them augment each other's uh, weirdnesses and abilities. So I like that they did that. It's interesting that, you know, the, I, I don't think I'd thought about it until you mentioned it, but like th- this whole book is about a parallelism and and that's what Batman and Superman are. They're like, they're both sides of a coin, but mm-hmm. they're sort of equal pulls on, on this through the whole thing. And he kind of changed that into the form of the whole thing in several different ways. And I think the sad part of it is that I don't know what the audience for this is other than us. It's vaguely silver agey. It's yeah. really uh, high concept. High concept's not correct. Except conceptual. You know, it's not the de rigueur sort of superhero stuff that you read. So it's strange in, in an era in which, well, it's more at Marvel, but somewhat at DC, where every time a creative team changes, they get a reboot and a renumbering at number one. Batman Superman didn't have that for Yang. Mm-hmm. So it was almost like the book was totally lost in the in the traffic, and it was like deep into not met was it metal Wait, not metal? Uh, it was right after all that stuff. Yeah, but but like the, the sad the, thing the is Joker that who, the Batman who laughs was the main character in it for a little while. Right. Yeah, I'd even stopped reading it. It's unfortunate that it just might be the way of the world that Yang is who does solid work in the Wednesday Warrior mm-hmm. genre is maybe not as big there as he should be. You know, he did his Chung Chi has been really great. I've been really mm-hmm. enjoying it, but mm-hmm. it's not like burning up the charts. But, you know, it's not. Uh, and then Superman versus the Clan. Was that versus the Clan? That, I think that, that did pretty well. Smashes the Clan? Smashes, Smashes the Clan. Yeah. That that was great. But, you know, it's a bummer that a lot of people didn't check this out though. They can't they didn't just they didn't just cancel it. They canceled it quickly. Yeah. Yeah, I'm guessing they looked ahead at I mean, the numbers they, must have been really terrible. We, I don't, we've talked you know, about the fact that like you know, not a lot of names move units, but his name doesn't do that really, which is sad because I, I think 
like he's this guy who has justified his position and his like notoriety over and over and over again yeah. because you know he's done a lot of stuff that are that is different from all the other things but it's always at least impressive in the not even the attempt his execution's very execution's good terrific. i've given people those books for christmas they all love them but there's something okay. about it that isn't quite you know de rigueur in the the way that people want another superhero comics right now yeah it's less about the plot; it's more about the form. Mm-hmm. That's okay. I'd like to point out that I don't know when we started on the the ticker, so I have no idea how long we've been talking about this. So let's just move on. Real high wire act. <laughs> it was uh, great. It was a really good. Yeah, pick. and I was. It was terrific. I, 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 you showed the panel, and I guess you know the viewers at home won't see this, but you showed yeah, the panel where Calendar Man pushes Superman's head down into yeah. freeze breathing himself. Mm-hmm. I don't think even count like Calendar Man even catching Superman unawares. There was do that. There was a bit of that. Like he punched them all, and I was like, "That's not going to hurt Superman." Right, but he's get, like he's going to break his own hand before it he doesn't matter. Him. Unless by being exposed to the reality of the of the world, he is now super strong. You know, like like it's he's beyond what the construct. It doesn't matter. One thing we didn't touch on is how rare is it these days to get a solid single issue story. Yeah, just a one shot story. Yeah, yeah. you got to really get you got to get canceled for that. <laughs> right I, that is the sad thing of like this, this issue probably wouldn't have come out if if the book hadn't been canceled this is a great because it doesn't really sum up anything that has happened previous it really is a standalone story but it's fantastic and it's so rare to get that i feel like in your you know in your wednesday books your two wednesday books these I, days early in the book i started to get real happy and then when i got to the end i was just real happy in a way that a comic book doesn't do to me that often has and i just made me happy i was like that was just delightful in every possible way and i'm glad that was a thing yeah someone in the chat room mentioned that yang should be you know spearheading dc's ya movement which they've done it they have, they're doing a ton of ya books and he did one mm-hmm. on superman smash the clan was a ya book hopefully he has more i don't want to pigeonhole him he should be able to do non-YA stuff although even though really comics are all YA in the end of the day anyway let's move on to the patron pick patreon.com slash ifanboy that's for every patron who joins up can vote to add a book to the rundown it was a crazy week we had two books battling it out for number one we had a contingent of the discord patrons who were voting for die number 20 but in the day by one vote the patron pick was the 51 page inferno number one kicking off i think the, the end of uh, Hickman's run on X-Men. And this is written by Jonathan Hickman. I didn't really do the credits right the first book. I'm sorry. This is all very different than we know how we normally do it. I didn't even look at it. Uh, written by Jonathan Hickman, drawn by Valerio Shitty. Trying to find the credits page. You're so far into the book. Come on. Colors Come by on, David Hickman. Curiel and letters Come by Joe Sabino. Oh, there's a script here. <laughs> I wrote it. You know, so. you're the one who, yeah, you also started. You said, we should probably put these credits on the script. I know, so but this is we not don't... normal. I'm looking at you. I'm looking at Ryan. This is not. I'm normally just looking at the script the whole time because we script this whole thing. All these little sides and 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 just <laughs> just, just all scripted. With, this is like SNL Tuesday nights. Yeah, why do you think the script's so thick? This is nine all, p.m. to yeah. three. All the yeah. digressions. Much yep. like SNL, it lasts way longer than any one joke would warrant. But we're here <laughs> for it. And we're gonna stick it out to the end. We've been driving it into the ground since 2005. That's our motto. I'll be honest, I've been enjoying Hickman's overall X-Men stories. I've been reading his X-Men book, I've been reading Marauders, reading X-Corp. I wasn't super excited about Die, because that's a book that both Josh and I dropped after about three or four issues. But I read this comic. I definitely read this comic. I don't really remember what happened in it. I read it. You know what I mean? I, I read it, yeah. I like read I read it. the pages, the words. There was, I looked there at was... the pictures. You know what? I, I'll tell you that um, about 20 pages in, 
It was the first time I looked to see how far I'd gotten because I knew it was a 51 page book. And at 21 pages in, I thought, I don't, I don't mind this. I'm kind of having fun with it. Which is unusual yeah. for you with an Hickman book. 22 I, I, pages in, I was like, uh oh. <laughs> and it never recovered. I have a hard time when you hand me a 51 page book and the first, how many pages? The first 10 pages end up being like a computer simulation. That was great for me. That was, that's just bonus. The thing is, I like the me. setup. I like the world. I like Fuck Island. I like the thruples. I like the X-Men hanging out at tiki bars on Fuck Island having thruples. Like, I like all of it. But then you send the X-Men into space, and then there's aliens. And there's, My like, issue with all of Hickman's X-Men run, care. which I, I dropped, so I, I was picking this up. I picked up this issue because not having there. read much of where what had gotten us to this point. And my issue with Hickman's run on X-Men, and this is sort of a low-key issue with a lot of his books, but it was, for me, particularly egregious on the X-Men to the point where I dropped it, is I feel like so much of the book is just telling me what the story is going to be about, and I never actually feel like I'm involved in the story. Like, it's so many conversations yeah. about let's sit around the table and talk about what's going to happen next, or let's sit around, let's make a phone call and ask about the computer code software we ordered. I see what you're saying. I think this this might be. I don't. I don't know if this is like an event. I don't know what anything is anymore. I, don't I know this think is like, everything's kind of an event. Right, I, saw so I don't know. If this is like a setup for the. You know, so that would make sense. But the list of books list. that you're supposed to read at the. You know, to get to this point, pissed me off. I was actively mad at it because <laughs> it is such a. It's such a random assortment of X books. It's Hellions 15, New Mutants 21, X Calibur 23, X Force 23. Like that's, that's all. That, a, that's it's been that way the whole time though. They just they, they just list all the X books. Well, the well I'm back. mad at it. I'm telling you, you don't need to. I've been reading just three of them. I'm still mad. I can no. I I will be mad. You can't. So all right. So uh, here's the thing, though, about Jonathan Hickman, and I think it's time that we all Uh admit this. Uh, If you're if you're listening at home, Josh just took his glasses off. So he doesn't tell a story. He tries to be cool. He's not telling a story. He's trying to be cool. He's trying to make all the people sound cool and all the stuff look cool and completely at the expense of the narrative, which he's burying under all of this attitude. And it's happened in every single thing that he's done forever. So See, even if there is even that. if there is a great narrative in there somewhere, you have to work your ass off to find it and go with his asides and his sort of non-direct thing. And some people get away with it really well. But at this point, like I have read so many of these stories and I love smart writing, and I haven't found any because but it might be in here somewhere, but it's yeah. unclear as hell. I and just want to say goodbye to all the Jonathan Hickman fans because our, our viewership it, numbers took a big hit after you started talking. I just but I don't get it. I don't think it's good. I I've made excuses well, for it for the longest time. I've said I've said you know like well you know I don't get it or it's just you know what it's been fucking ten years of me trying to read these books and everyone's like these are great and I was like I don't think so I think this is like some artsy shit that people want to say they like but they don't really like and they don't I, understand it. His Fantastic Four was legitimately great. I got bored by his Avengers. I think I read a couple of issues and dropped off. That was like one of the first times I ever dropped reading Avengers. Fantastic Four was legitimately good. But like, what's, to, the, I'll, what's, the, I'll what's the story of this issue? What happened? I, I, like, I, I, I'm the one who told you I don't remember anything about it. I'm not saying this was great. I'm just saying I'll defend Fantastic Four to the death. The rest of it, Secret Warriors was really good too. Jonathan Hickman talk. It's yeah, like he's looking off to the side and he's smirking a little bit about another thing that's going on that you're not aware of. That's how his comic books read. I, I mean, for a long time I thought, well, it's just not me. I'm just not into it. Now I'm like, I don't think it is just me. Yeah. If anything, I blame the patrons. <laughs> 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 That's the 
funniest thing that's been said on this show for months. All right, what I want so... to know is, like, over at Marvel HQ, like, is everyone like, oh, man, sure thing, Mr. H, this is great. Like, do they, like, I want to know what the editors say to themselves. Do they really think it's gorgeous genius? I've been really liking his X-Men books. Like the ones he's been writing, he's been writing. I think it's been fun. There's been stories. There's been interesting concepts. There's been fun relationships. I think it's been good. I think it's been legitimately good. I didn't like are, this, but I think this is legitimately good. There are really good ideas in these things. There's really cool bits, and you know, like he's got a swagger to him that's really fun. But ultimately, like the narrative just keeps getting lost over and over again. And you know, I, I, I will say, like Valeria Sheedy was great. Yeah, he really was. was. Yeah, no, absolutely. I thought I looked at it and went, oh, I know who this artist is, and it was better than the last time I saw him. I thought it was Pepe Larraz for a minute. It's, I did it was too. really good. Yeah. I, uh, I like I like the bishop redesign. He's a little he looks a little young for me, but like I, I like this the bishopy swagger. That's the Krakoan experience. It keeps you young and fit and supple. Well, you know, you have to be if you're gonna live on Fuckboy Island. The beginning yeah. no, bit it's Fuck where, Island, not Fuckboy. Luckily it's I had read I had read the start the stuff with Mara. And I kind of remembered it. I was like, "All oh, right, she lives over." And over I had again. forgotten that. I don't. I don't think I really understand her powers. When she dies, she goes back to her birth and lives again. Yes, but she has the she has the information and knowledge she had gained in the other one. That's right. But like, it's not like it's not like we know. Like if she died today, she's not born tomorrow in our timeline. Right. Her, her consciousness right. goes back in time to her original birth. But then, how does she alive again in the f- present? It's almost it's her like consciousness. It's, too it's not high concept an idea to actually make sense. Yeah, but it's clever, and, and like the idea that the people are like, she's always but, matching wits with people, and she's like, well, the difference between you and me is that you haven't lived through this. You can see my thoughts, and I thought, oh, that's really good. But that whole scene... And then there was other shit. Yeah, that whole scene with her and Charles and Magneto, where they keep just emphasizing over and over again that yeah. she's the most important person in the Marvel Universe, and I'm just like, A, I don't buy that. You've not made Joe, don't case, tell. You've not made the case that that's true. Yeah. B, if that was true, why are you infantilizing her by putting her in an undersea bubble beneath your mute, perfect mutant island? Because they're scared and, of her. They're, and I, C, I, I, I thought from, it was... I, 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 House I, of I, X are... But I, oh wait, I had one more point. Power to make. It was that I thought it was really cool that Magneto opens a bottle of wine with his magnet powers. Well, yeah, yeah I, I would use it. All the I time. thought I was like, why are they in zero gravity? Oh, all right. I think <laughs> the best. I think the best way to start this show off is with a little bit of arguing. That's how it gets the juices flowing, gets the gets the blood pumping. Let's do some ratings on this. Ratings. 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 Ratings on Inferno number one, the fifty-one page extravaganza of Jonathan Hickman and Valerio Shitty and team. Ratings out of five. Two point six seven five three. Wow. Yeah. I think I'm going. I think I'm going a flat two. 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 Sticking two. with it. And all of that is pretty much for the art team. Sticking with it. No, I'm mad at it. No, I, yeah, I'm angry too. All right. Okay. Those are your pictures. Like, it's picture. like watching the entire series of Lost on every page. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Patreon. Maybe something will make sense by the. Nope. Patreon.com slash iFanboy. That's where you can go. Every page you can vote there. The book, the rundown. Hey, look, it's email time, everybody. I should get to the right part of the script. So, this is episode 800. As Josh mentioned, it was probably before the show started that on, on the 50s, on the 50s, on the 50s, we do the all email show. Usually lasts long. We thank everyone who writes in. We ask for emails. Tons of people wrote in. The standard disclaimer applies. Way too many emails to do on this, even if it's a long show, because there's just so many of them. You can see that the viewers on the chat room can see that you can't. Uh, there's just too many to do. But thank you for writing in. We'll try to get to them for the regular show. Also, 
We removed the platitudes from the emails. We read all of them, though, and, and, are, and we are very flattered and touched. Thanks for all the kind words. We appreciate it. We just have to save time here. So let's get to the first email. Comes from Alan F. from Orlando, Florida. Alan says, oh, sorry. Wait, well, before we get to Alan's email, I promised uh, we have to talk about what we're drinking. Sorry, Ryan. What I was going to keep drinking whether you told us to I know, talk about I it or just, not. We're going to talk about it. So we like to have a cocktail on these shows. We don't normally do that because normally we're recording at 6 o'clock in the morning for me, which is a sign of a problem. So what are we drinking, Ryan, for this It's this hard to episode? show, but I've got a beautiful pear float garnish in here. Uh, this is a cocktail Julie made up. It's... Um, it's a very full glass. It's well, it's got apple cider in it, so it's not all booze. So it's apple cider. It's this um, liqueur from Iceland called Bjork that's made with like birch bark, and then it's this. It's called maple syrup moonshine from this guy named Vic Bob in West Virginia, who ferments moonshine and then distills it into maple syrup moonshine. It's a very unique product. So it's that with with some apple cider and a Did this come with a curly mustache that goes out to either side of your face. No, this is this is like some good old boy stuff. This is not his Wait, would you stuff. say his this name is... was Vic Bob? Yeah. Boss Vic Bob? Like does he got a little dance on the stage? Because your description style? sounded like a Portlandia sketch. Oh, he, he's <laughs> yeah, he's but this not is like... anymore. He's he's in a different part of the country now. Yeah. yeah, this is like this is like rural West Virginia stuff. This is this is real Vic Bob. This is not hipster Vic Bob. So um, she didn't have a name for it. So I don't know if we want to come up with uh, call it Hickman's Revenge or something. I don't know. What the <laughs> title for the drink would be, but it's it's very tasty, and I appreciate her making it for me. I broke out. I got a really nice bottle of Scotch last year for Christmas, and I haven't touched it since. So I decided to break it out for the show. It's a Macallan Double Case Gold. And so that's what I'll be drinking tonight. What does that mean? I don't know, but I'm drinking it. It's good. Let's look at the amber color. It's just warm. Finished is it the how peaty is it? Give, it? give me a peat. Give me a peat. Like is it super? The first sip or? warmed me. It was nice. It's not peaty. Okay, I like it. I like it. All right, let's get to Alan F from Orlando, Florida. Wait, Josh didn't get to tell us what he was drinking. Yeah, Doctor Pepper. I have a Doctor Pepper Zero. It's gone now. I have a cider downstairs that I was thinking of getting, but we'll wait. Until have break. somebody bring you the cider. I don't know how your marriage works, but <laughs> I have a bunch of things downstairs that are going to be brought to me throughout the night. All right. Email time. Let's do Email. this. Alan F. from Orlando, Florida. I've been listening to this show since around 2006, which is crazy since it started in 2005. However, I am not what I would classify as a comics reader. I don't do weekly issues and only occasionally pick up trades and collected editions that I do admittedly hear about from you guys. For instance, New Frontier and the Parker collections from Darwin Cook. So my question to you guys is... Am I an outlier? Or do you guys find you actually have a fair amount of listeners who don't typically read comics? Do you find it weird, interesting, creepy that people like myself tune in just because we find the mythology of comics interesting and enjoy your banter? I don't know. Didn't think I, it was creepy until you suggested it might be. <laughs> no, I, like I don't think it's creepy. I not actually creepy. Really like, not creepy I, I really like it. I like when somebody says, I listen, but I don't read the comics because that's... Uh, to me, that's a huge compliment. That means that it's entertaining enough or interesting enough in some way that you know you're not just there to sort of have it go along with your fix or whatever. I find that to be like if, like if somebody's like I, there's a, there's a bunch of people. I don't know what the numbers or the percentage. We hear are. from people who say I, I keep up with what's going on through you guys. Yeah, like I, I keep up with the storylines. And I think about that like when I'm ta- when we start talking about something really specific in an issue where I'll be like, but Connor, look on page four on that third panel, and I'm just like, this must be difficult for people. But also, that's, that's why I always try it. to make sure at least to mention what's happening. Yeah, even if we're not talking about the plot, I always want to mention it. Just but that uh, we had friends a while ago, a long time ago, who would listen just because they were our friends and like didn't read comics. 
I mean, I almost have the opposite experience where, like, for a long time, especially um, before I was sort of a regular substitute co-host, the single issues I read were almost entirely dictated by what you all would talk about on the podcast. I, I would maybe read one or two series that were series that I was just into that weren't regularly talked about. And, I mean, this is also back in the era of, like, Invincible and Walking Dead, so which you guys didn't regularly talk so, my experience as as a listener was often I would keep up with the books that I knew or regular things that were talked about on the show and everything else was kind of just background noise and that was my single issue reading experience. So it's not it's not weird or interesting or I mean let's think of it. It's not weird or creepier, Alan. It's it's actually not uncommon. Not, it's not majority, but it's not uncommon. So thanks for yeah. listening though. I find it to be a compliment, is what yeah, I Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I, I hope we're entertaining even if you've read the books or not read the books. I, I've, I've seen people be like, oh, I don't want to listen because I haven't read any of those books. Well, hopefully we're entertaining if you have read the books or not read the books. Because that's what we're trying to be is entertaining. Before we move on to Tom M., Josh, which I want you to read, is we got a lot of non-comics questions this year, and I'm psyched about it. I'm just, I just, <laughs> we, we tell them anything, anything goes, and they actually went for it this time. So that's we can't, we, can't, we can't keep talking about comics forever. <laughs> we gotta, this is where we tell everyone we're moving off of comics, starting with 801. It's going to be a guitar podcast. That's good because what what the world needs is another vague pop culture nerdy comic book or nerdy podcast. <laughs> but Josh, hey, at least at least we're three dude. white men exactly. Right, you read two. <laughs> I will read two. Tom M from the Good, the Bad, and the Nerdy podcast. I'm 42, which is the, the answer to the life, the universe, and everything. Everything. And I knew you guys are also in your mid 40s. Not yet. Whoa, whoa. What was your first concert and your best concert you went to in the 1990s? For me, it was who, uh, for me, my first was Hooting the Blowfish in 1995. Best show in the 90s was The Violent Femmes in 1997. Oh my God, you should have gone to other shows. <laughs> hey, listen, he likes it. I know, I know. They were huge in 95. I, t- I know, but that's just me. They were huge, so I've been like, that must be terrible, especially in 1995. I would have said that. So the Josh, thing about '95, was I was a snob, but I didn't know any cool stuff. So who knows? Josh, what was the first the first concert you went to in the '90s? The first concert, well, the first concert I ever went to was in the '90s. So it might flew. as well. Yeah, I mean, beginning of the '90s, we were like 11. So, all right. So the first real show I ever went to, like as a you know kid, not going with your parents to something, although I can't remember, did was Diggable Planets, uh, which who had the uh, rap hit single "Cool Like That." Cool. They cool played like in my that. hometown at the college. Uh, and the next year, Arrested Development were there. So apparently they had a thing at that college to, to bring stuff in. Good booker. Um, and then that, that year, uh, I'm going to say the fall of my senior year of high school, Dinosaur Jr. played a show in Portland, Maine. Uh, it was my first sort of rock show. And uh, I'm still a huge fan of that band to this day. There was a, there was a double pit going on there, and it, it, it blew my mind. Uh, that, was, that was fantastic. The best show I ever saw in the 90s, I went and I saw... Beck and Ben Folds Five and Elliot Smith. In I college? did not uh, the near the end of it. Yeah, it's uh, Saratoga Springs, I think. Okay. Now I didn't know who Elliot Smith was at that point. I have no recollection of having seen him, and it's one of my life's great regrets because um, now I consider him to be you know one of my favorite artists sure. of all time. Uh, I was a big fan, Ben Folds fan, still am, and I don't like Beck, but that was the best performer that I saw in that entire decade. He was amazing. It was such a good show. I can't tell you why, but that was a thing that I I was like, wow. Some people, it doesn't matter if you're way. a fan of the music. If they're a great performer, yeah. you'll you'll enjoy the show. They were. Matter. He was. He's totally. The, like Buddy Guy is the other one I saw like that. I was like, that was the most amazing show I've ever seen. And like, I'm um, not a huge Buddy Guy fan. I was wrong. I in the '90s wasn't my first concert. It was the first concert I remember going to. That's fine. 
Because I, I, when I saw Willie Nelson a couple of years ago, I was hanging out with my uncle the next day having a barbecue in Austin, Texas. And he was like, I was telling him, I was so excited to finally see Willie Nelson. He was like, you saw Willie Nelson when you were a kid. Was and a we job. took you to see Willie Nelson here when you were a kid. I was like, I don't remember. I was a kid. In the 90s, my first show was Jewel at Jones Beach. Somebody had VIP tickets and they were like, want to go see Jewel at Jones Beach? And I was like, I want to see Jewel at Jones Beach. So we went. Um, my best, and I didn't, I didn't go to a ton of shows. I, my best concert in the 90s was I think one of the shows on campus and honestly the most fun I had at a show was George Clinton and the P-Funk All-Stars. Oh wow. I saw that at the gym at the Ben Light Gymnasium at the college. I didn't go to that. And who I, the person I went came with I don't even know who I went with honestly. It was I don't know who I went with and they left and I ended up staying by myself the whole time and they played for like five hours. That's amazing. And I was in the front next to the speakers, and my ears rang for three days. If I was me now and be able to tell them, I was like, don't not go to George Clinton. Ever. It was terrific. And I'm not like a George Clinton fan, but it was incredible. Did they were go all to, into um, it. Did you go to uh, La Soul? Mighty Mighty Boston's. They were great. I, I don't, they, that was a great show. He pulled me up on stage, and I did a stage dive. Like he was just pulling everybody oh, really? up. And Fishbone, Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. And then another night, it was De La Soul and Goody Mob. That was also amazing. And Fishbone. Wait, Fishbone's the one anyway. really, for, for 850, can we get a dancing guy to be the fourth yes. screen? And he just never ben? says anything, but just dances the entire time. The one I'm really yeah. bummed about is I missed Bob Dylan and somebody else. But anyway, I also uh, saw- Ryan, did you go to any shows in the 90s when you were a child? Nope. What was for- your best concert you ever went to? Well, I mean, so if you're if you're letting me go forward in time to the early 2000s, uh, first show I went to as a, like a, a person who cared about music and was actually trying to go to shows. I think I went to the Vans Warped tour in like oh, 2002 or three. That's a good time to go. It was perfect for me at the time. I would have uh, you know, loved like, it then. It was like Rufio and Flogging Molly and all these you know. Girls. Oh, awesome! Yeah, super fun. Um, I love pop punk. I have no problem with it. Best Flogging show I Molly's went perfect. to. Use them all the time on the show. I went to the inaugural year of the Outside Lands Music Festival in San Francisco, which was a disaster. Like, the, the sound was cutting out on shows. Radiohead could barely perform because the amplification died multiple times. Uh, but I got to see, like, the Black Keys and the Dynamites featuring Charles Walker and a bunch of just great bands. And I was with uh, Julie, who was just a friend at the time and is now my wife. So, like, yeah, absolutely my best show. Did you see Bad Religion at that Warped Tour? I did. Uh, I don't remember, but it doesn't. I saw, I have two more, and then I'm going to show We can't go all night on this one. We I know. More I could, mus- there's I could. a lot more music could, questions coming. I could do it for hundreds, but I will say I saw Bad Religion in college at The Haunt, which is like this tiny little place, and it, changed, it blew, my, blew my mind. Um, what I was going to say is you just said the Black Keys, and this is just an aside. Uh, uh, I saw them in Portland, Maine in 2012 on the El Camino. No, it wasn't El Camino. It was just after that. Anyway, I read later that um, they put that show they mentioned in Rolling Stone, like that was the best show we ever played in Portland, Maine for some reason. I don't know why. And then they just released like a 10 year uh, El Camino version and they threw on a vinyl copy of that Portland, Maine concert because they thought it was so good. And so I bought it because I was like, oh my God, that was awesome. Like, That's pretty cool. Yeah. Josh, read question three. Question three is Stephen B from Maryland. What is the perfect snack combo? I've been thinking about this since viewing. 2012's Mike and Tom Eat Snacks, episode 52, RC Cola and Moon Pie. This is so. First up, I have to I have to tell Stephen 
Mike and Tommy Snacks is back. Mates yeah. is back. I texted Connor and Josh about it because yeah. I, all right, this is this is true story. I never unsubscribed to the feed. Yeah, I didn't either. It just popped back up in my feed. Okay, so um, yeah. love Mike and Tommy. Although, the, although we listened to one episode on the drive to the wedding last weekend and there were seven ads in it. Guys, I really was. Yeah, I only listened to one of them, and I was like, "Get to the fucking snack." They don't. That's not the point. They don't. That's not the point of the show. No, I know, but I want the jokes about the snacks. I like the snack jokes. Half the show is the is the pre-show, and then the half. I feel like that snack. part got longer. Yeah, it totally did. But that's yeah. you know, shows evolve. Let's talk about snacks. This the is snack, subjective, right? This isn't oh, objective. One hundred percent. It's one. Okay. It's all subjective. Well, the, the the snack I often think about the most. And I don't know if this counts as a snack, but it's the thing I think about the most from childhood is. I would go to H&H Bagels on 79th and Broadway, 78th and Broadway, around there, 80th and Broadway, 80th and Broadway, and uh, get a hot bagel right out of the oven and get a quick chocolate milk, and I would Ginelli those, take a bite of the bagel, <laughs> drink some of the chocolate milk. Uh-huh. You're, raw, you're raw dogging that chocolate milk, though. And uh, it was that—that's the snack I think about the most. I realize bagel's not really sort of a snack, but no, I know exactly what you're talking about, and it's—it's it's completely valid. It's also yeah. extremely New York City. Yeah. Um, and then I had a pizza and mugged a lady. It was the eighties. <laughs> While enjoying a nice vial of crack. Mm-hmm. Then we did crack together. Good. <laughs> so you've been crack. stabbed. <laughs> Get out of the way, Ryan. Do you Josh, have a, you have Ryan, a... who's somebody else? Ryan. Uh, RC Cole and Moon Pie is not a bad combo for the number one spot. Um, growing up in West Virginia, pepperoni rolls are a big thing, and RC Cola is also not an uncommon thing. Um, I'm, I'm having a hard time thinking of a combo. I can think of a lot of like individual snacks that I like, but I'm having a hard time thinking of a combo snack that goes well together. Well, for me, uh, there's a thing that my family makes this supercharged version of Chex Mix. Uh, they call it stuff and clutter. Don't really know mm. why. It's got a lot of garlic and Worcestershire. My father-in-law makes his own chicken mix and it's delicious. It's and yeah. it, it, it's crazy. Like my wife won't go near it because she's like it smells like fucking rocket fuel. And it, it is my favorite thing on earth. I will eat a gallon of it. Uh, that with a cold Pepsi is my favorite thing on earth. The uh, the, his Chex mix is so beloved in the family that one year he gave out tubs of it for Christmas and everyone was thrilled. Normally, you'd be like, thanks for the Chex Mix for Christmas. But everyone was like, yes. It's, so, it's the, the stuff that my mom makes, and it's been passed down. Like, there's literally a yellowed piece of paper that has existed since the 60s that has the recipe on it. I tried to make it once. I failed. Mm-hmm. It didn't work. You know what's a nice Ginelli? Uh, either Pepsi or Coke and um, Sour Patch Kids. I mean, that'll oh, fuck geez, you up. You can't geez, handle it. Job. But I used to love that when I was a kid. I was like, woo! Let's... Uh... Go to Chandler C. from California. Chandler says, I've been thinking about this for the last five minutes or so, which I feel like we shouldn't allow, but we will allow it. Y'all are always talking about what the best older Vertigo titles are, but what are the worst older Vertigo titles? It's weird, though, because the fact that they're not good is because they're forgettable. Oh, my God. I didn't change the banner. Yeah. I, I, I mean, like, I don't remember them. Yeah. Yeah, that really is like I'm trying to think. I think the one that the people talked about the most, including Josh, that I never could get into enough to finish was 100 Bullets. I mean, a lot I of people, say it was that's, bad. that's most people's journey I think on that book. But like I wouldn't I wouldn't call that a bad comic like Brian Azarello. I think it got No, I mean I think that uh Azarello suffers from a lot of the same thing that 
um, Hickman does for me is that it starts off really strong and then it doesn't, it doesn't seem to go anywhere. And the thing with hundred bullets was, I don't think that should have been a hundred issue series. Like no. around but it 15, makes sense 16. When you think about the title, cause Josh, I don't know if you noticed this, but a hundred is in the title. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. You know what? I, I just looked up a couple of things just to try to jog my memory. Uh, Fables fell off a cliff. Well, no, but yeah, that, that went the full run. I know. There's a ton of spinoffs to Fables, too. But, yeah. And I actually thought most of the spinoffs were strong. But Jack of Fables was great. But Jack everything Fables. after the first ending, I, I, I couldn't hang on. Yeah. Josh, did you get the, the, Big B, the Big B book this week? I didn't read it yet. But I, I got it, it, but I haven't read it yet, either. I was kind of hoping I, that'd be the pick. I, I, so I, I follow Bill on Twitter. You know, Bill and I are, are old friends from way back. And he was he was tweeting me like, why is my book out on a Tuesday? Like, he's so out of the loop that he wasn't fully aware that, wow. that DC Comics now come out on Tuesday. And, and I just, really... there's, I mean, there's tons that I just can't think of because I remember reading them in, for the show and being like, that was if, not nothing. If so anything, I, I think there are more Vertigo titles that we talked about a lot back in the day that we don't talk about as much now, but are still good. Like you guys remember exterminators. Yeah. Great. 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 Simon book. Oliver. And, uh, um, what's his name? Uh, uh, Moore. uh Tony Moore. Yeah, Tony Moore. Tony Moore. Yeah. yeah. And then, I mean, like people don't talk about the invisibles much anymore. I feel like maybe with another matrix movie coming out, that'll maybe get some play <laughs> again. Um, no, the, that was a fertile time. We all know it. It was the beginning of the show. We're going to get to some bits later with people talk about books throughout but um, I just don't remember the bad ones. There's no there's no time for our space. There there definitely were. I think that you know you you'd pick something up because you liked something you did on one thing and it wasn't another. But I don't remember them. I mean, and also you don't find like I just look. You don't find like worst of Vertigo lists. Right. You see a lot of best of. And I just actually clicked on one and I was like, no, I liked all those series. Like, <laughs> I was I mean I I was a shill for the company. So Josh, next email. Which would be number five. Five. Patrick K. Ah, uh, Patrick K. If you could go back to any decade and relive all the comics that were coming out then, what would you choose and why? I've been thinking about this since I missed out on all those wonderful comics that came out during the 60s and 70s. I mean... I, I thought I, about it, and I think it would be it would be fun to be there in the sixties for the Marvel revolution, but I don't know that we have the context to enjoy it as much. I think that I, has I, a lot to do with it. I think the time that we grew up in, it was the best time to be growing up in the, with the eighties comics that were still bronze AG and fun as kids. Mm. And then to mature into them as the comics matured. And then to be uh, adults doing this show and the website in their two thousands when I thought, you know, their comics were incredible. I think this was the best time that I can think of from from an arc point, from like a child, from a lifetime arc point of view. Sure. Starting in the eighties in the Bronze That's Age and maturing into uh, because uh, everyone making comics is our age. So, when's... yeah. But that's I think that's the best arc. I really. I, do. I mean, like like the best era. You know, I didn't live in this in the sixties and seventies or fifties. I wasn't around for it. But the you know after the crash in through the first half of the the two thousands. I mean, there's so many what i just classics things that are and you know we were at the right age and the right place for all that and the internet was coming and but i mean that's the best i'd seen in a lot you know in my life i mean mike roma and i have talked about this and mike roma and i are just diehards for the era where i fanboy was at it's you know most content producing i'm not gonna say peak yep. no no, no peak, yeah yeah but most content producing 2010 
Yeah, like that era of comics, uh, I think just because I was so actively involved in the scene, I got to talk to Mike Romo more often than I get to talk to him now. Um, all those things, you know, th that to me is the time I would want to relive. I, it's funny, I have like... A, nostalgia have for it. Nostalgia for the, 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 you know, sorry to my editors who happen to be on the show, but there were mornings I woke up and I didn't have a column written. But, like, I would just, you know, grab my laptop still in bed to just crank something out. And you probably could tell that that's what I was doing. But at the same time, it was, like, super fun. It just was – it was frenetic. It was kinetic. It was all the edicts that you could apply to that period of time. It was great. I agree. Ryan, read the next question. Number six, Nick P. from Luxembourg by way of Newport Beach, California. Whoa. I, I joined as a patron on day one at the minimal level for a superpower. I have never increased my patron support nor let it lapse. And while I appreciate you thinking of new levels, a TV wrap up just isn't getting me excited. Therefore, I submit one suggestion to you and to the listeners slash patrons slash viewers. We know they're not viewers, which would definitely make me increase my support. A monthly all comic book discussion email show. One of my favorite segments from the uh, PFW from the pick of the week is the emails and it is understandable that you run out of time. However, a monthly all email show would be great. An hour answering emails would lead to amazing discussion about the state of the industry titles. You d don't discuss on your regular show and trades collections discussion. And I think it could fit into your existing format. End of email, no sign off, no question mark. The end. Well, we edit them. All right. So a, I think it sounds like a good idea on paper. Yeah. The, uh, you know, I think the idea of different levels isn't to make you increase your support. I, I'm talking out of school or whatever, but like it's about like trying to get more people to buy in to the idea. I think if you're there, you're the person who's been doing it forever and you're fine. Like, that's great. Thank you. That's awesome. And we want to keep you happy. Definitely for sure. But the thing about the email show is, is twofold. One, it depends on email. Now we can do this thing once a year and have people send in a bunch of stuff, but you know, on a week to week basis, we don't always have a good email to pick from. And I don't mean no, we don't have any. We, we, would, we wouldn't have enough to do a whole show on it. No, we'd there's have to like. No, there is. But there's weeks where like, I, you know, these are OK. I got one. I got one good one, you know, that really like sort of fit into the kind of thing we can talk about. And then the other side of that being like, you know, there might be too much of us talking about those things free form. It's like I wasn't I was not a fan of doing the media split shows because I thought it steps on the end of the year show. And I wouldn't be necessarily a fan of doing the monthly email show because I feel like it steps on the specialness of these shows. Mm -hmm. What's fun about these is that they come out all once a year. Yeah, so we, just, we do this once a year. In and my perspective great. as an inter intermediary is, um, you know, the TV wrap up show. You've been very clear that you're only doing it for shows you would watch anyway. So it's, it's right, but we're not work. doing them at all now. And people, that's it's the literally the number one thing people ask us for is, is but, but it's, doing it's, a show on this show. It's only extra work in that you have to record an episode about it, and you're having a discussion with your friends that you would probably have anyway, but you just have to record it and edit it and put it out there. Whereas doing an all email show to me, that that that's seems like a different tier of work to actually produce mm. than, than the it's not TV. necessarily more or less work. No, okay, it's if anything. Yeah. I like the free form of the hangouts where people ask stuff and we sort of go off on that for a little while. I find yeah. that to be fun. Yeah. Let's move on to Nick P from Folkestone, United Kingdom. Well, we just did Nick P from Luxembourg. How many Nick P's are we going to do in a row here, Connor? I don't know. That's how they came in. I've been thinking about this question on and off for about 30 years. Jesus. How fast does Superman age? 
Or more specifically, what's your preferred interpretation of how he ages? Nearly every version of the character has shown him having a relatively normal childhood in terms of getting older. So then when he moves to the metropolis, he's always in his mid-20s so far, so normal. But then there's quite a few stories showing Clark way in the future, including the recent book, which focused on all his kids. So my question is, at what point does he start to age slower? Do we think it's a thing where the older he gets, the longer it takes for him to age? So he hits 50 and suddenly it takes him five years to hit 51. I think that makes sense. Personally, I like the idea of Clark being around forever. I think it adds a sense of melancholy to him that he can't escape. But then I'm also a fan of how he's portrayed in something like Kingdom Come, where he basically ages like a normal dude. What do you think? I know it's kind of moot as he's never going to be allowed to age past 35 anyway, but you know, I don't think he ages normally in Kingdom Come. He's got a slight streak of silver where everybody else is elderly. Yeah, it must be terrible. Like he's um, he looks like Ryan, whereas Bruce is like, you know, hobbling around. He's definitely ages slower in Kingdom Come. I think Superman ages one to two years for every 10 years of Earth time. I, I mean, I, I think, I think it's one of those things. Like, I, I like that there's not really a rule. I like right. that it's kind of whatever is the story is dependent. Although I do disagree with one thing in there that he said, like he's just perpetually like twenty twenty five. And I think when I was a kid that made sense. But now when I look at a twenty five year old, they look like children. Yeah, he and was so twenty five. Has to be in his early thirties for anybody <laughs> yeah. to start to take him seriously. He was twenty eight in the Silver Age back when a twenty eight year old looked like Don Draper. Right. Uh, but now he's sort of like, they have him as like 35, 33. So I, I heard an interesting thing recently, Josh, and I haven't looked into the, the science of it to see if it's 100% true, but it passes muster on my smell test of a thing that makes sense to me. And it's that from a psychological perspective, the, the reason that the thing you just said happens is that we don't ever perceive ourselves as aging Therefore, mm-hmm. we always perceive ourselves as like, you're still a 25 year old, you're just trapped in whatever version yeah. of yourself you're in at the moment. Sure. Therefore, instead of perceiving yourself as older, you perceive all 25 year olds as younger than you were when you were 25. Time is all well, relative. See, all relative. Not, I see what you're saying in that there's elements of truth to it, but I can also recognize that when I was 25, I was full of shit. Sure, but like you often hear somebody say, "Look at the, the they look like children now," and like you know. But I did look like a child then. I looked like a child until about eight months ago. You didn't think about it though. <laughs> I did too. Are you kidding me? I was twenty-two years old in Los Angeles. I really wanted to meet girls, and I looked like I was prepubescent. I thought very much about it. <laughs> I was like, "Hey, girl, time is time is a construct, anyway." Yeah, I guess so. Uh, I, I do like the I, I do like the idea of Clark aging. I like the idea of him aging slowly. Yes, yes. he needs to age slowly. He needs to be. I like the melancholiness of it. I like all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I do. I, I like I like a story. And you got to remember, this is also it's a visual medium. So usually, you're using the shorthand of like his gray at the temples or his whatever to show him as looking a little bit older. That gives you that different perspective on it right away. And I, I like that. I like the idea that he never gets more powerful or what or let you know, but he's wizened. I, I like the idea of that sort of mature Superman wherever they need to use it. And I, yeah. I don't tend to get hung up on it very much. Also, they smoked back then, like made him look older. Well, th- I mean, that's that's actually what I thought you were going to talk about, Ryan. Because to me, like, whenever you see, you know, like, you'll watch a movie from when you're a kid and you go, that guy's 15 years younger than I am right now. You know, like, people just looked older sooner in the past that they don't now. I, I mean, I'm not are. like, I don't think I look like a little kid. But I do not look like what I thought a forty-five-year-old person looked like when I was younger. Like I don't know what happened. I think we're all interested in development, but I'm going to keep dressing hey, like a teenager as long show. as I can. Ryan, under ten. Oh, we're gonna. Sk- okay. 
Um, Steve S. There are a small handful of writers who have gotten the opportunity to shape the larger storylines going on in Marvel and DC. Jeff Johns, Brian Michael Bendis, Jason Aaron, and Hickman in the current X-Men universe. Which creators would you like to see shape the universes of the big two who have not yet uh, been given the opportunity? I've been thinking about this since at least Jeff Johns' Blackest Night. And in scanning ahead on that email, trying to anticipate where I was going, I saw the word blackest and I, I read it as blankets and I thought I was going to say Craig Thompson's blankets and I think a Craig Thompson that, that's outside the box. Outside of, the box of the DC or Marvel Universe would be quite quite the thing to see. Um, I think it's clear that we're in like a stagnation where the same, there's a lot of the same people writing books that they've been writing for like 10, 15 years. Not the same books, but the same universe. Like Jason Aaron's been writing Marvel books since however long he's been writing them. Um, and I don't know that the new the new people that have come up are all that exciting. I think no one would be surprised if, to know that I, I think Tom Taylor should get more of a reign in DC than he's got. I would do, yeah. Tom Taylor for DC, and I think Donny Cates is ready for some big swings at Marvel. I, I think Donny Cates exists in a very odd corner of the Marvel Universe where I think he's really good at and fun, but I don't know that he's mainstream enough. But who else is? I mean, it, we almost, it almost feels like that era is over. The Donny Cates era? No, no, no. The, the era of one person coming in and steering the ship for a minute. That's and, over. And yeah. That's Long over. Tail has destroyed that as an idea because yeah. there's... The Bendis Johns era is over. Yeah, and there isn't going to be. And, and I wonder about this a lot if I don't like a lot of the newer guys because I'm from a different time. Like, that's not what I came... But I don't think that. Are you a time traveler? No, I just mean, like, you know, so we much. came up with, like, we went through our stuff. Nothing's ever going to hit us the way that, you know, Rucka, Bendis, Brubaker did when we were that age. But at the same time, I truly think, like, the work that they're being done is not up to the level of the work that was being done in the early 2000s. It's just, it's not. It's not as interesting. It's not as innovative. I do think that there's they're a not as free thing as they were they, then. Yeah. Well, also, there's no there's no reward for being inventive and for sort of like there there's no because they're not as free. They don't have the free reign. Yeah. They've got bo- corporate bosses now who put their boot down on them. Maybe Marvel had nothing. That's but why even, you had Marvel Knights. Even in the 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 you know creator owned stuff that I read, you're not getting blown away by anybody. That's well, right now, yeah. We did, we did five years ago. Yeah, but it's like it's it's happening less and less. I think I don't know. I I don't I don't know if those people that have those kind of minds, like I get most struck to, are just not coming to comics, or they're not getting their shot, or or I just like something that is out of fashion. I, I don't know. I I find it really interesting, but I don't I don't think you think like will comics ever have another Alan Moore? I don't think so. Well, Moore did never shape the universe. Yeah, he but shaped, he left he shaped the, as a medium, but didn't. That's what I'm. Well, that's what I'm thinking of. I don't mind. Yeah. I, 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 I he's talking about like the guy whose books all sort of shape the stories. Like Bendis is running Marvel, and Johns was running DC. In yeah. terms of, there's a guy, Kevin Feige. <laughs> <laughs> that's why all the costumes have extra lines now. Mm-hmm. That's fucking true. All right, you let's can, take you a can quick... tie all of the movies to why the costumes have extra lines. So let's take a quick break here and talk about second print comics. The world of comics, characters, and universes shattering continuity can get a little complicated. So where's the best place to start? Our friends at Second Print Comics Podcast have you covered. From the viewpoint of two different comic book generations, Mark Clare from the early 90s and Remzo Martinez from the mid-2000s, 
bringing you deep dives each and every Wednesday into the stories, characters, and events that inspire their comic book fandom. So this is a show hosted by Time Travelers. Time Travelers is the theme of this episode. Covering every publisher from Marvel, DC, Image, Valiant, and everything in between. Whether you're a comic book newbie or a seasoned collector, this is the best show to revitalize your fanhood. And remember why you became a comic book addict to begin with. Subscribe today on your favorite pod catcher or head over to secondprintcomics.com. And you too can, as Mark and Remso say, read comics and change the world. You should put that on a t-shirt. Plus, they're on Patreon and have a special offer for iFanboy patrons. So those of you in, in iFanboy faithful, check Patreon for details for your special offer. That, that offer went through this week. So if you're a patron, you have seen it. But the basic deal is this. Any iFanboy patrons signs up for the SBC Patreon and will receive one month free at whatever level they choose to join at. After they sign up, they can simply message the code iFanboy to us on Patreon. We'll issue a refund for the first month. This will give them access to all of our bonus content, including some of the Remso rants, the random Marvel Comics podcast, Remso vs. the MCU, Tales from the Fuck It Pile, recaps of every Marvel Disney Plus show, and so much more, all for as little as $5 a month. Go to secondprintcomics.com or subscribe where you listen to podcasts. Thanks to Second Print Comics. Let's do... Francisco sent three questions in. Let's do his first question, Josh. So I'm just going to read the question, not the preamble. I'm going to read the preamble because it's kind well, of... Well, it, it no, the preamble's in there because it, it, it relates to the question. All right. I recently started to go back and listen to the Pick of the Week catalog. This is my first episode. I'm now up to episode 244, and I've really enjoyed going through this mini journey through time, and I've also enjoyed comparing these shows to the ones you do now. Personally, I think that the shows you do now are even better than the ones that you did back then. How would you say your approaches to the podcast have changed over the years? Connor, would you like to? Mm, the show definitely changes. It's like a living organism. It's like, it's, it just morphs and grows and changes. And like, if you go back, I think we were sillier with Ron more often. There was more often, because you would, off, you would, you would really like making him laugh. So you would try to make him laugh all the time. Yes. And so we, that would, that would lead to more, that was a shortcut Tangents. to entertainment. Yes. And more bits. Whereas I think you and I do fewer bits, but, you know, spend more time. Jim's key in the chat room says they drink more, so we should kick him out of the chat room. <laughs> no judgments, Jim's key. There um, used to be more rusty auto parts in the show. Yeah, I mean, you and I, I think, are, I think the show is fun and funny, and I enjoy listening to it when I'm, like, editing it, but I think that we were goofier back then. So... That's sort of true, and I know what you're saying, because yes, I would absolutely just try to get Ron to laugh, and I'd be like, there you go, instant entertainment. He's got and a good laugh. And that would be, if I could get him to laugh, then I would figured, well, if he's laughing, then somebody else is probably having a good time, too. Uh, you don't have the same kind of sense of humor as him, and I don't know how to crack you up in exactly the <laughs> same way. I know when I've got well, my moment. I know when right. I see it, and I can go after it, but it's not the same. I mean, it's I a- remember back then, like, on the show, laughing to the point of tears, because we would all get going with each other. That hurts my feelings. No, just because we would all get going in yes. like a circle. Yes. Um, which doesn't happen. Um, it's, it's just a different show. We, we, we're more like, I want to say deeper dive on the medium, but like we're just more, you know, it's just different. The show changes and grows. As we first of all, if I could just say, you know, if you tell me, if he's telling me, I think the shows you do now are even better than the ones you did back then. I think that's a massive compliment. I should, that should be what's happening. God forbid that we're like, well, they used to be better. I don't want to hear that. I think at some point when Connor and I decided to just stay with the two of us, we did it. I know that you said it was goofier, but we did adopt a looseness. I think that helped mm-hmm. us for a while. 
and and we started to really we felt comfortable and confident that we could you know, fill the time yeah, yeah. and and really just went with whatever was happening but this fellow's minute helped us too because we, that's we, true. Yeah. we had we were much in you know, this show's our show this show is pretty regimented we have a script we have a rundown we have we have segments goodfellas minute was like on there was like basically unfocused so we had to talk our way through it and i think that led to us being and everything lasts for a little while and then you move on and right and what's what's interesting to me is like ron was sort of a podcast mentor to me when i was starting my own show and not that the two of you haven't been helpful at any moment i've needed advice or whatever but ron truly was like somebody i would go to for you know technical grid you know d down in the dirt sort of help me figure out this thing and his philosophy of podcasting is just i think a little bit different than when it's just the two jamokes like he he has an idea about podcasting that is slightly distinct from the way that the two of you just naturally have evolved to do the show when it's just the two of you and i don't think there's anything wrong with either approach it's just there is a difference it also depends on who's hosting like it's a different show when it was me josh and paul mm-hmm I just recently listened to the, the, the Josh, uh, Josh and Jim Fiscardi show. Yeah. And like, that's great. Like the dynamic is totally different and it's, it's wonderful. It was a delight to listen to, to use a Ron phrase. Yeah, it's just, it's just, I think the personalities will inform it and then it grows and, and changes on its own, depending on what you're into. I like when to we say got about... to mate, when we got into mates really heavily, which we talked about earlier, yeah. the show got really goofy for a while for like a month. Because we, we really liked their tangents, and then we just. I totally to think that the shows that I've been listening to most recently and really been into affect the way that I also perform on a podcast. Can't help it. And yes. I think one thing I say about my own show that I think applies here as well is that you know you do your best to like intelligently design a show to make segments that make sense, to make a format that makes sense, but then you have to just let it evolve. You have to let it. Mm -hmm progress and grow naturally living, breathing from, organism exactly and if you if you are restrictive to that if you are resistant to that i think things become stale like if you guys were still just coming on every week and being like rich people like the the, the audience uh, wouldn't be here because don't think, like, i don't think about it the i think one thing, i think one thing that set us apart early on at least in the beginning was that we we came at it from production backgrounds like josh and i worked in tv at the time yeah. So like we've always had a script. We've always had a rundown. Not always had a rundown. We didn't start with a rundown. We only had four books in the beginning. Like it wasn't that many. But once the show got more in depth and longer, we 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 had a rundown. We had a script. We've tried to keep to a format. We try to treat it like a production rather than just turning a mic on and talking, which is a lot of shows that we're doing in the beginning. I so. think one other thing, and this is gonna it is self aggrandizing. I'm not even gonna make an excuse for it. Connor and I, I think more than anything, uh, have really gotten into the idea of. Um, really thinking about the books and what works and what doesn't and why and how and the craft. And I think at this point, we both have a real confidence about those opinions that we could not have had earlier on, but we've had enough validation over the year to be like, I'm as good at this as anybody. And I don't, I don't mean that, you know, from, from, from well, I'm better, you know, like, but I know because I've had people tell me and they've had them listed for however many years. And I've talked to comic book pros and I get this, I understand this and I, and I understand, you know, what's an opinion and what isn't. And, and it, mean, it means that when we start talking about a book and we really want to think about it, we can get in there. And then we learn something at the same time. And then somebody else learns something so they can enjoy their thing more. Um, I love that part. So I want it to be funny, but I want to do that other part too. And that's a tough balance. And I think that we hit it a lot of times. And I'm, I'm very proud I of mean, that. do we go too long on the underwear ads? Yes. Do we really like do that we have underwear? Fun? Do we have fun? Do we really like underwear? Also, yes. yes. 
yeah. wearing it right now. But the the other th- the final pin I would put in the, what you just said, Josh, is a thing that I think struck me about the show early on and has remained persistent, if not improved over the years, is when a book sucks and you guys decide to talk about it, you talk about it for a reason. There's a, you're never bashing a thing just to bash it. You're talking about it because there's a thing that's worth talking about in your discussion of it. Um, and then the century slept with the rogue. So I don't know what else to say because Connor's about to give me the bell. <laughs> um, I was about to bell the, the question. Thank you. Um, there's something else I was going to say, but I can't think. Oh, I think Josh, I'm willing to get like stupid and goofy on the show. <laughs> I th- I, that's the role I've taken into. Like, I'm I think, like, I think I, people I don't, who get stupid and goofy often say about themselves. I don't. I don't care about being like coming off like a dummy. Like I'll make a dumb joke to get. Oh sure. To get you laughing. All right. Please. Adrian Z says. Old time. Who do you think is the most important character in the Star Wars saga, aside from Wedge, obviously? Oh. Luke? <laughs> <laughs> the best part about it is like, obviously. <laughs> like, I was going to think about it for a second, and then you just said Luke like it's a joke, and I was like, yeah, it's Luke. Yeah, I mean, I was gonna say R two D two because he's the one that carries the plans of the Death Star. Without him, there's no, you know, they don't win. But it's Luke. It's Luke. (laughs) (laughs) It's called the Skywalker Saga. Here's here's the thing about Star Wars: you can read deeply into it, and you can have fun with it. There's no deep reading of Star Wars. It's Luke because the man who thought up Star Wars did not put it there. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's a symbiote circle, Josh. You must. A bunch of nerds and message boards try to put it there, but it's not there. It's you must it isn't there. That. It is Star Wars is exactly what you think it is. It's a it's nerdy awesome. dude who liked a lot of different kinds of movies and wasn't putting a lot of deepness into it, even though he kind of thought he was. And I love Luke. I've always loved Luke. He's been my sure. favorite character since I was a kid. I love Luke Skywalker. He's, I, Luke, Luke to me fits within a specific type of character that I have a ton of affection for. He's in the MacGyver mold. He's in the like. It's the sort of he's the character who for whom violence is the last resort, and I think that's a really important yeah. kind of he's character to have he's a in monk. pop culture. The warrior um, monk. You know, if you think about the kinds of people who became like Star Wars fans, like you know, if you're Connor and I's age, you know, it used to be. You know, freaks and geeks like those were the Star Wars fans, and everybody went and saw it. But the people who hung on for a while, their hero, you know, came up as it was Luke Skywalker, who wasn't that dashing. Although I will say, as a kid, it was all about Han. Like all my friends were like, Han's the coolest. Luke sucks, and I was like, I kind of like Luke better. But but the the, I mean, the fact is though, like as you stuck with it, like that story is about him. So you're watching a a kid who doesn't know where he fits in grow up. A kid who just wanted some power converters. You know, just wanted to go to the Tashi station. He just was trying to, figure, and, and like that is a, I just, I just, I'm, I'm undercutting everything I just said, but that's a big departure that the hero of that biggest thing is not, you know, a swashbuckler, is not Steve McQueen. He is, you know, and then that, that plays into then you go to Indiana Jones and it's kind of the same thing. He's flawed and he's, he's, uh, well, it's almost like, well, what time- if Steve McQueen did play Luke? But it's would've almost like every time low, Luke is too, it would have been smoking for- in space. It's almost like every time Luke gets too big for his britches, he gets shot down by the mm-hmm. other heroic characters in the saga. Mm-hmm. So he's the guy who's constantly, like, Han has his moment where he comes back to the Death Star battle, and that's his hero turn where he realizes the rebellion's more important than his smuggling operation. But, but like, 
Luke is constantly trying to figure out how to be a hero, and he stumbles through that entire three film series mm-hmm. to to get to the point where he's like, even in the beginning of Jedi, he has the classic hero's journey. As he's way on. overconfident in his abilities to yeah. get him yeah. and his friends out of that situation, and so you know, like the, one of my favorite moments. I was thinking about this earlier today. Uh, and I was reviewing text messages with you, Josh, for a different purpose. But um, <laughs> like that that whole thing where you know Han asks Luke in Jedi, like, "How are things going?" And he goes, oh, "Same as usual." And Han goes, "Well, that bad, huh?" And like that's yeah, uh. it's the well, brilliance you know, of Star the other Wars. Thing, it's the brilliance of Star Wars. The other thing that occurs to me is that like we can say, "Oh, Han was the whatever," but Han's whole thing, and it starts most in the beginning, is it's it's a facade, it's bullshit, yeah. and as it's, you go through. The whole thing that falls away with the people that he's comfortable with, and then Luke tries to build that up, but he's he's ahead of it. Like neither of those are the typical. I've got everything in hand, heroes. Mm-hmm. I never thought about this until this exact moment that I started talking about it. Well, we know the answer, Adrian, is Lobot. Let's move on to no. <laughs> Evan C. Uh, Josh, read Evan C.'s question. This question occurred recently to me during Josh's solo show where he discussed Moon Knight and how exhausting it has been to see the character redone so many times. My question is, when do you think reboots, refreshes are justified? Does it only work after a big story when it hasn't happened in a while? Never. Spidey and Batman don't reboot, but others do all the time. I'm just excited to see a a character like Moon Knight, but depending on experience, everyone gets a different take of these characters. It's a good question. I've never heard this question. Um... Spider Man. Oh, first of all, Spider Man did reboot. It was quite controversial. Right. <laughs> One well, more day. It, it, split, Spider- it split the fan, fan base in a half. Spider Man and Batman do get reinvented, but it tends to be a slower process. Yeah. It's happening all the time. And we're about Batman's to see. Got... We're about to see Spider Man do that in the films. I think Batman. So. Don't talk about. It. I, haven't, I haven't seen any trailers. I don't know anything about it. But Batman sort of defies rebooting. Like when Crisis happened, he didn't really get rebooted. It didn't really happen. The story kept going as if nothing had happened, and. The only thing that changed was the Robins changed. And yeah, then, but and New 52, he didn't really get rebooted. He got aged down a little bit, but yeah, really but, didn't really change. But there's anything. been a little bit of, like, I know what you're saying, it's true, but the sort of world around what he's about changes. So for a while, you know, he was the grim and gritty guy on his sure, own. He and the, then he became, heiress. he's the dad of a big family, but he's, you know, reticent with his feelings. Like, it's this constant sort of evolution that changes over time. You know, as opposed to all new Moon Knight, you know, which is to make an make an event of it. Moon Knight's a special case where they yes. just don't seem to know what the hell to do with Moon Knight. I like it's Moon Knight, the Hawkman. Well, yeah, even, yeah, yeah, you, even worse. Yeah, in that point, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think. When do you think? Well, <laughs> I I think. Uh, Hooper. That's the that's the Richard Dreyfus Moon Knight. It came yeah. to you in 1974. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you don't, Mark Spector, Woods Hole in- Oceanographic Institute. Nothing until you see the whites of the Moon Knight's eyes. Um, like a doll's eyes. I don't take think... us down this road. We'll go down it. Okay. I'll, 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 I'm going to pull up. I'm going to pull up, screen. Red Leader. Yeah, pull up. You the question is, you know, reboots, refreshes, and it's almost, there's almost like a, a continuity baggage here that has to be ignored for a reboot, refresh to even happen. So, like, characters that are more recent are more, more recent and or less important. Like, I'm not going to say that Moon Knight is less important than Spider-Man, but... He, he is. is. Most, most characters are less important than Spider-Man. Yeah, Spider-Man is one of the greats. He's um, on the masthead. 
So I think He's on their checks. They are he, Spider-Man is on their checks because I have my first check for Marvel and it's got Spider-Man on it, and I've I've saved that. Uh, so for me, I think about I think about um, the char- the character's recency and importance matters in how successfully rebooted they can be. So I think about something like Warren Ellis's recently redone The Wildstorm was a pretty mm-hmm. successful reboot slash refresh of the Wildstorm Authority era characters that he mostly created during Stormwatch and the Authority. And successful I think about how? That it was good. Good, interesting, and different. It wasn't a rehash. It was a reboot yeah, slash refresh. It right? didn't live on. It was just there, for the mini series that he did. Versions, yeah. No, but no, I don't even mean that. But like he did this story, it was great. And you know, whenever those characters show up again, it might be influenced that. But nobody gives a shit. But I, like, but I have, I haven't been on the show to talk about the Superman and the Authority show, the Superman and the Authority comic that Grant Morrison's doing, and I think that's doing a, a similar thing. Oh. Like, the the Midnighter and Apollo that is in that comic are recognizable to me as a person who read The Authority when it was first coming out, mm-hmm. but they it, it does feel like a refreshed version of None them. Of, neither one of you guys read this week's books other than the two books we talked about, right? Mm-hmm. I basically had an aneurysm this week reading Superman books because there's a whole thing about the Authority characters and how it ties into that book and how it doesn't make any sense and we have a t-shirt for it. <laughs> I don't want to read that. Also, Superman went off to space in two books this week in two different ways in two different scenes. How's he going to breathe? How old was he? I don't want to talk about it. I I know I brought it up. I don't want to talk about it. I, I think a reboot is justified when it's been it's too convoluted and no one knows what to do with the character and no one knows. Jeff Johns' famous thing was like, "What is the essence of the character in one word?" Mm -hmm. And if you can't think of that because the character's too muddled, then they got to reboot. So what's what's Hawkman's one word? Confusing disaster. It's like they this he, he's still messed up, but Moon Knight's weird because of the multiple personality portion of the character. You can play with that. I don't think that necessarily this version of Moon Knight's all that different than the last one we read. No, it's, it's almost like the tone of the books is different. Is more the problem. Yeah. So as we went from the Max Bemis stuff into the Jed McKay stuff, and that was from you know the Brian Wood, and, and yeah, like, it's all it's just been a very out, different book each time. So there's even if the character is basically the same, there's no continuity through that. And so you kind of don't know what to expect when you read the book, and not in a good way. I, I, you know what? You know what I think a relatively successful but low key one is um, Doctor Strange. Uh, yes. The, however, they yeah. they did it. I think it was Jason Aaron who started it with Chris Bacalo, and it was you know God, that was good book. Strange comes back, and it's about the cost of magic, and they've kind of been going with that theme since then, and really have put more life into the character than he's had for a long, long time. And I actually don't think it had a hell of a lot to do with the movie version, which is pretty unique. It got the spotlight because of the movie version, but that character that that is the longest I have seen a, a consecutive you know Doctor Strange story continue for years and years and years in the entire time we've been doing this show. Yeah, but I think one of the key differences between Doctor Strange and Moon Knight is Doctor Strange plays, and this is the last thing I'll say on the topic. Doctor Strange plays a very clear role in the you know, grand picture of the Marvel universe. He is the sorcerer supreme. He has yeah. and he did it for years that people come to. For well, he, he, his role was things. to show up at big events and do the magic bits. Whereas like Moon Knight's not that character. Moon Knight yeah. is Moon Knight is like, if the defenders need like a substitute, like what's Moon Knight's role in the Marvel universe. But so his Doctor strange, like was a non was persona non grana for years. Like he was there. They bring him in, well, but he, he couldn't hold a series. He yeah, couldn't... yeah, but, but the point is, like, he has a he has a role. Like, if if Doctor Strange showed up, you're like, oh shit, 
there's some serious magic bit that needs to happen. Whereas Moon Knight's like, what does he do? Well, I mean, the problem could be interchanged with Daredevil. There's no, there's no one difference. I think the thing about Moon Knight is that we are discovering over and over he has no role. I like him though. I do. I read all of that's different. You can like him, and I can like him, whatever. But like, if you took Moon Knight out of the Marvel universe and never mentioned again, people might say, "Hey, what happened to that? I kind of like that." But nothing would be missing. Well, because he's not an he's not an A list character. But when Oscar Isaac plays him, he will be. Oh, right, because that worked for Apocalypse. Well, that was terrible. You couldn't tell it was Oscar <laughs> Isaac that anyway. Let's read um, uh, Ryan Reed will, number 16. Wilfred from Anaheim, California. One of the better one of the better peppers out there at the Anaheim Chile. It's a great pepper. I love the Makes Comics podcast when it was still going on, and I often wonder what it would be like if the show had continued. Were there any plans to expand it? Topics you meant to cover. I've been thinking about this since 2018. No, Josh. For, hold on, give people context, Josh. This is a so, long time ago. Yeah, so I did uh, a show called the Make Comics Podcast uh, with um, uh, Andy Schmidt, who uh, is a friend of mine, and he uh, runs a How to Make Comics School, um, Comics Experience, and he was uh, an editor at Marvel Comics in a very fertile time. A lot of what you like about uh, Guardians of the Galaxy uh, came from his office back then, and Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning, and blah 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 blah. And I don't remember how we started doing it, but we we started doing the show and uh, we would basically pick a topic and talk about how to effectively make comics or break into comics or have a career in comics or how you think about crafting comics, things like that. We did 50 episodes and I can tell you that the last 10 or so of them got to be kind of a struggle in trying to find a new thing to think about. There's only so many topics in that. Yeah. and, and it's there's a limited series, really. One other... One other thing going on then, I guess, is that that period of time was the one that I was the most seriously attempting to make comics professionally. And I fell off of that for a bunch of reasons, largely just that, you know, once my kids showed up, my life changed drastically and and sort of the energy I had for that kind of thing kind of went away. And then the other side of it being that, like, I learned a lot about comics in the industry and I thought this is kind of a long shot. And not one that I necessarily valued as much. I liked a lot of the ideas of it, but I thought practically not so much. So my mind was in the right place at the time that we did that. I was, you know, in it. And I was, you know, talking to a guy who had been through it and knew and, you know, but it, it couldn't have gone on forever. It would have gotten so... You run out of, you, you run out of topics. You just run yeah. out of topics. Yeah, and I think that the difference is like... So now, you know, that, that stuff all exists. I learned everything from that. We still... It still comes up. They disappear. Except you can't get it. No, they're gone. I don't know where they are. I don't know why they're gone. I don't have them. They, they, they were a time. It's, only, it's the only life. show we ever did that we don't have them. They're not on our feed somewhere. But it's. Oh wait, I mean, it's, Josh. I think don't miss thing, it's gone, isn't it? Too? That's fine. <laughs> the thing, Josh, is that's like it. You produced a semester of content, right? Like in, <laughs> in you know the, in the college course scheme yeah. of things which is my framing of of how i'm really proud of it i love educational it. i listened to every single one of them and they were great yeah. Thank but you. you you know you you made a semester of content if, if you could you could listen back to those and, and make a syllabus from what you did but like at a certain point the semester ends and you reset and you teach the same class again because mm-hmm. the new crop of students need the same material yeah and it shouldn't be on you, especially if you're just doing something that's meant to be like educational. 
it's unreasonable Fun. to ask you to produce the same content over again when the foundational material is out there and it just needs to be re-listened to by a new crop of people. Except it isn't. <laughs> I should do it again. Re-record you know, someone, it. someone wrote in and said they had them all, the files, and do we want them? Maybe really? We, want them. They should, uh, we, we totally want that. Back. You know who wants those? Andy wants those. Andy's asking, uh, and I feel if you terrible. Wrote the, if you wrote in and you were the person who wrote in saying I had the shows, um, I scratched my head and now it's all red. Uh, you should definitely email us again because I think we do want those files. And actually, in the chat room, D Gold says he has them on a CD. And we so we should try to get our hands you. on those. Don't no uh, no we won't. No no we're not gonna pay you. <laughs> this is a podcast about comic books. <laughs> um, wait wait I have one more last point. Uh, the show doesn't go on regularly anymore, but everything that I learned during that time and everything we talk about, it comes out all the time when we talk about that show. That's that's part of the building blocks of the way that we talk about comics now. And so in that way, that, that course is, is still going. We're just in a different version of it. Adam from Orlando, Florida. This is for Josh. Sorry. Why does, why does a person need 10 guitars? As a non-guitar person, I was a bit confused with the reveal in episode 797, and I have thought about this for the past seven hours. I assume it's because each guitar has its own sound. Sound, feel, aesthetic. Uh, there's all sorts of reasons. I do. I have something like 10 electric guitars. and Every guitar has a personality and it. it's got its voice. And you're not necessarily getting the same. You don't want the same sound every time. You want a different And sound. they make you play differently. And they feel different. And they have a different aesthetic. It's like, why would you wear you know 10 different shirts? Because you don't want to look exactly the same and do exactly the same thing every day. So they each bring different things out of you. There's a point where there are too many. Where you've got like thirty guitars, you know, like that's just that's just hoarding. Unless you're I, in a band, like my my father, one of my one of my eh. father-in-laws has like a, he's got like forty guitars. He's yeah, but a, you can't use them at band. that point, I, right? You can, but the difference between hoarding and a collection is how you display it. Yeah, if they're just cool on a wall, then that's awesome. It's yeah, hard. but I mean, it's hard to if you think about it. Like, say that a band does an album a year, and each album has twelve songs on it. Like, you can't you can't use that many. And I don't like having things that I can't use. So I have just enough guitars that I can sort of pick any of them up and do a thing with them and not so many that I would be like, oh, I haven't seen that one in three years. Like, I don't want that. I want an I want things that I can use that do different things. Um, you know, it's that everybody's different. I have a cousin and he has dozens of guitars and it 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 like upsets me. It's it's way too many. And I hit like I I, I said, I got all right. I do this one last kind of guitar. And that was it. I kind of stopped. I've got every, I cover everything I need to cover. Ryan, read 20. Alex T. from Minnesota. I have been thinking about this question since 12 Angry Batman by Tom King. It's reinforced every episode, though. It seems to me that limited series are the future of comics, even though it's frustrating at times, because the authors can put together an arc rather than a story. I wonder if it's because all the ongoing uh, stories about Batman or Spider-Man have been told so many Time. So my question is, if most of the stories were like the best arcs, then should comics most, eliminate Wow, them? I'm not the drunk one. If most of the stories we like best are arcs. If most of the stories we like best are arcs, then should we eliminate the ongoing series? Question mark. Um, he's not wrong theoretically in that like it feels like, you know, you give a writer a book, he gets the he or she tells their story, and then they move on to another. You know, another writer comes on. It doesn't happen in all the books, but it happens in a lot of the books. So that's necessarily, not necessarily totally wrong, but I don't know that he's totally right either. I mean, no, because it shouldn't be all one of anything. Like, don't eliminate ongoing series. They're they're awesome. 
but then sometimes limited series are also fun. Like that's like that's like if 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 pizza's always better, why don't we eliminate burgers? Cause <sighs> better for my arteries. Because nobody wants uh because nobody wants the same thing all the time. Variety's the spice of life. And also they're different, different creators are good at different things. You know, there's yeah, just great. There's amazing single issue story guys. There's amazing 12 issue, you know, people. There's Dan Slot, who's just like forever I will do this, this, you know, this soap opera. God bless them, you know? The thing that's crazy to me is that like we and I know I know you guys have talked about this on the show before how we transitioned from going to the six issue arc to the five issue arc after already going from the 22 page issue to the 20 page issue. Like Mm -hmm. to me, that sort of shrinking of the the narrative is more interesting than how the narrative is fundamentally structured in a way that it's, it's, uh, it's interesting to watch how, authors and artists have to shape their stories to fit into smaller boxes. Um, yeah. Little boxes. Little boxes. You know what? From an economic standpoint, getting your money's worth, blah, 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 I get the problem, but I kind of like that they're giving people less space to do things because they really have to like stick to the thing that they're doing. Five issues is often better than six issues. Six issues for yeah, but you you know this for a while. Like everyone was trying to make everything six issues long, and it yeah, not everything was six issues worth. But I think also it works the other way because because yes, first we lost the extra pages that that basically brought us down an issue anyway when you when you multiplied all the pages down, and then you lost another issue. So the story is really shorter now. I'm excited for this question. David H. from Brooklyn, New York. David says, I've been thinking about this question for two years. In the 1989 Batman film, a young Bruce Wayne exits the Monarch Theater with what looks like a near full bag of popcorn. In your expert opinions, did the Wayne family either A, watch an entire movie, leaving almost all the popcorn in the bag, or B, purchase a fresh bag of popcorn just before exiting the theater? If the answer is B, wouldn't stand a reason that the shooting might not have happened if the family had exited the theater a few minutes sooner? What is the only reason the young Bruce Wayne's gluttony might have contributed to his parents' death? Perhaps Bruce keeps himself in top physical shape as an adult because he subconsciously knows that his popcorn <laughs> indulgence got his parents killed. Well, hold on. Why are you blaming the kid? He maybe the parents. Yeah. Maybe the, the, you know, like, I'm a dad who likes movie popcorn. So maybe he's like, hey, why don't you fill that bag up? And he's like, I don't really. Just just go fill it up. And he's just like, fine, I'll carry it. Maybe maybe it's Thomas Wayne's own damn fault. Have you ever uh, filled the popcorn on the way out the theater? Yeah. I think... I think Absolutely. you gotta blame the guy with the gun who shot them and not anyone who was an innocent <laughs> He was victim. asking for it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes, I've fulfilled in the way out. A couple of reasons. One, as I said before, I love movie popcorn. In fact, we- I might change my my snack combo to a delicious uh movie beverage and, and warm hot butter popcorn. Is refilling your bag of popcorn before leaving the theater a thing not really but you can do it and i've done it (laughs) josh will find a way he's like so i have the amc thing and you get free refills right so you get a big bucket you can take that home and you can you can you can put it in a thing it's just as good the next day you can even you you know why it's just as good the next day because it's already several days old i know but still i don't care ryan did you work in a movie theater no, I just am not an idiot, and it's um, I I'm the I'm the kind of popcorn eater where it's like 
the popcorn bag starts full and by the end of the previews, I'm 50% of the way through it. Same. And then, you know, when the movie starts, uh, I'm, I don't know a person. I don't know a person who fills up the, the bag after leaving the theater. Maybe you. Well, now you do. People, it's not. It's do. Not, no, no. Now you it's do. not always. I've just done it. I've done it. Cause, cause my kids like it, so I can bring home popcorn for them to have as a snack, and then I don't have to go buy some shit. I can and not think about it. I can say, hey, there's popcorn, and they don't fight about anything. They just eat the popcorn. My mom is the my mom's the kind of person who will buy the biggest bag of popcorn available at the movie but bring her own napkins and distribute napkins to everybody to put on your lap so that she can then dole I out. get the I get the drink, you know the little cardboard box you put the drinks in. Sure. I get a couple of those, then the kids each get a a, a doll from that. I don't want a bunch of hands in there all at once. It's too it's too it's too frenetic. Same idea, just just a little cleaner. It's a good word, frenetic. Uh, let's uh, do 23, Josh. I like that we didn't even attempt to answer that question. Listen, he, we, he, they filled up on the way out. No, they didn't. They didn't. <sighs> no, they just they got popcorn and they didn't eat it the entire Mark of Zorro. Correct. That's a that's a it's a suspenseful film. Tyrone Power is terrific in it, and he makes you want to eat popcorn. That's my take. I'm Here's what I it. think happened. You're you're thinking that they went and did a thing. I'm guessing these are the Waynes. People were ah. just there with popcorn ready in case it got low. Like, don't right. let them see the bottom of this. So they're just keep. Ha- they're, they're afraid they, of Alfred's wrath. You let the popcorn get low. Like they they yeah, had a, they had a bottomless popcorn tub, and they he's just a like vengeful he, billionaire, as we've learned in the yep. recent comics. And so, like, he was what well, he it was full the whole time. He's like, I don't know, I've been eating it. It just keeps. So they gave, and they're like, oh, before you go, here's another thing of popcorn. And he's like, okay, they're used to that kind of treatment. That's just what happens. That's probably most likely. Which question did you want me to read? 23. Wes A. from Fridley, Minnesota says, It's no secret that Image Comics have an issue of either long delays or just fading away. See Saga, Lazarus, Farmhand, etc. Farmhand Lazarus is not fade away. Fading. Lazarus comes out regularly in right. quarterly and, fashion. And Rob is working on the last part of Farmhand. He's been very updated. But regardless, I know what you're saying. It's true. Just yes. those are not. Southern Bastards, etc. etc. I feel burned to the point where I won't pick up an image book until it's announced that it's ending. This helps my wallet, but I miss reading good image comics. I'm wondering how to resolve this. Should these creators just make shorter series, 12 to 20 issues? Should they go the Brubaker Phillips route and just move to OGNs? What say you on this? Take a chance, pal. I think that some of them are too long. But I'm not the one who's going to tell a creator to make fewer books if it's selling and making them money. But clearly some some of the books could be half as long. Tell you something. If you're not buying the issues when they come out, you are increasing the chances they will not finish those stories. Well, unless they're OGNs like Brubaker, but very few people are Brubaker and Phillips who have a built in fan base who can they can afford to do those OGNs. And that's their and that's their milieu. You know, like that's what they do. Um I don't think it's actually I don't think it's as much the creator's fault, although it is to a certain extent, as it is the market too. At the same time, the 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 fade. You can have grand plans that you want to do a fifty sixty issue thing, but it's very rare that the market will support you through that whole thing. Ever, ever since Preacher, though, it's like the the thing to do, yes. right? Is to have the sixty issue run. All those Vertigo series had like sixty issues, so I think that's still no, the mindset of a creator of a certain age. Yes, which to be fair is most of them. That to do their epic run, they have to do 60 issues, 60 issues of Scalp, 60 issues of DMZ, 60 issues of Why the Last Man, 60 issues of Lucifer. You know, all those books were heading for, they all want to hit 60 issues. I don't remember how long Black Science was, but it was in the 40s. You know, like Black Science could have been half as long. Yes. 
could have had a few few fewer missions into the random dimensions. Yep. But again, that's how they make their money. So it's like saying, you know, stop going to work three days a week. They also might like just like doing it. They might have. I fun. would too, Ryan. I'm guessing if you're Rick or Mender, you had a hell of a lot of fun doing those black science issues, and you're like, let's just let's you know, every time we get to think of a different thing and have a wacky adventure, and you know, nobody thinks about Fantastic Four like that. You know, just just keep going. I think it's there's some sort of combination. There's an alchemy happening all the time, and that's why you can't quite count on it because I don't think people exactly know. There's a whole bunch of things that have to come together for that to work out. Vertigo. You know, doing a sixty-issue series, that shit was budgeted. It was pitched. It was, you know, they they said, "Oh, this is what it's going to be," and they knew ahead of time. Image is is much more like you're on your own. It's a little bit of a high wire act. It's, it's not the same thing. Now, I don't understand for the fucking life of me why they couldn't keep doing Saga. It doesn't make any sense to me. There's got to be a story there. There has to be. There has to be a story there because, you know, I I don't know. Those issues weren't all that in depth. Like a saga issue went fast, and they made a lot of money from them. Breaking so. on is a very breezy writer, mm-hmm. not in a bad way. Always, no, not in a bad way at all. There, it's no, it's not not an insult, not mm-hmm. an insult. But like he's his issues, he, you know, uh, we've made the point multiple times on the show. Like he does a cliffhanger at the end of an issue better than anyone in the game. Mm-hmm. But like. The time to get through twenty pages, we talk about that. We talk about this a lot. Like it, mm-hmm. it, it. Writers are sort of um, responsible for how long it takes you to get through that twenty pages of the comic, and whatever the cost that is, that's your cost to time ratio. It's it's. Is it a fair metric to judge comics by? Probably not, but it's it exists. It's it's part of the market, and Brian Kivon, like his issues read fast but they read very well mm-hmm. ryan what's the proof on that drink you've got it's high yeah apparently <laughs> cornelius <laughs> he wrote in two questions i'm gonna read the second one because I, I i'm trying to think of the answer i don't know the answer so let's let's discuss cornelius says when was the last time josh connor and ron were physically in the same room together i don't know was it ron's wedding his was after yours yeah yeah was that the last time we were all in the same room together? Four years ago. Shit, that's so well, sad. Well, a year and a half of it was pandemic related. That's true, and it, like, like the thing, the thing is this though. You asked me, and I had to think about it because I still talk to these people. I actually talk to these people more than anyone else in my life that I don't live with. Sure. So it doesn't really feel like I haven't seen them in a long time because my relationship with my two good friends has been mostly virtual for long before the rest of the world got used. To. Like we talk all the time every day. Uh, you know, I, I was used to seeing you guys one, at least once a year, yes. at least separately. And I just saw Ron last week for the wedding we went to. But um, the three of us together is tough, only because of the geography of it. But yeah. it was it was four years ago at the wedding, which is which is which is frankly bullshit. Um, <laughs> I agree. All right. Okay. Give, give me some. Twenty nine. Twenty nine. Read. Josh reads twenty nine. No, Stop. I got it. I want it. I want it. Ryan's gonna read it before he passes out. Okay. 29, Scott D. I very much enjoyed your discussion about gin blossoms a couple of years ago. I am 45. So you're approximately the same age as me, Ryan, 45-year-old. I always <laughs> enjoy the music on the show. But who was your favorite, quote-unquote, generic 90s band? I have my answer ready to go. Surprise. I would Hold like on. to hear it. Hold on. 
Okay, tell us your answer, then I'm going to hold on it. Go ahead. I mean, I, well, okay, Connor, it sounds like, you know, do you have the time to listen to me rhyme? <laughs> okay. Here's my question. I don't know what a generic band means. I was so, actually having a hard time with that. I'm going to I'm modify I'm his gonna, question. I'm going to say Green Day. Can I just say okay. Green Day? They're I'm not generic. Green Day was great. I saw them in Madison Garden. They were no, 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 no. They're, not, they're generic? not generic. I could no. no, no. They were hugely no. important. Generic were the people who stepped in for the void that Nirvana left behind, and they ushered in an entire era of punk music, actual direct so like, hardcore like punk Bush? music. Bush is a generic '90s band. Well, hold on, hold on. Let me let me modify this question. Let I mean, me, I that, do have a machine head. This is more fun. It's, it's better, better than, than the rest. rest. Uh. Josh, what's the band that makes you think of the 90s? Like when you hear music, and I know you don't ever hear music you don't want to hear. Unless you're like in a store, then you're hearing Bob Seger in New Hampshire. But <laughs> if you hear a song or a band, what's the band? What, what makes you think? What, what brings you right back to college? So my answer for this is going to be the same. My favorite generic band and the thing that I hear of is Everclear. Oh, that's a good one. Everclear is the thing that that's like, a good I, one. I can recognize. Like it's not a great band. No, but, but it I, makes. But yeah, I, but I kind of like it. Like they keep touring, and I keep going. Do I want to go see Everclear? And I've I heard their terrible life. I, I heard that in the nineties when they were young. The the the, it's not. It's like they're not great. There's every song is kind of the same. The production isn't great. They're this close to being really good, but they're not quite there. They don't really fit into any of the things. So they sort of fit in all of the things. It's pretty great. He had so, the bleached hair. He was old but young. Yeah, how old this was he? Was he was he forty five or twenty five? Um, I mean, I, I think you and I obviously have very different musical tastes, although there's lots of overlap. But sure. and I I listen to music differently than you do. But I on my car I have the '90s station going all the time, and half of it is like, oh right, I was in the dorm when this heard this. So like, there's tons of bands I think of that define music in college, and it's not necessarily because I like them; it's because they were always playing. So mm -hmm. like. We were in the, the the peak of Dave Matthews at that time, and so like every every party you went to, uh, we were uh, uh, Lauren Hill's Miseducation. Lauren Hill was like played at every party I went to junior year of college. Um, I think of uh, Goo Goo Dolls senior year of oh. college. Like it's just like that was the music that I hear, and I'm right. I'm transported right back. Rusted Root. My roommates oh, loved God. Rusted Root. They played it all the time. Oh God! I mean, you've got to send me on my way. Send me on my way. I, I heard that song. 400 times oh, in that circle apartment like that's just that's oh, but God, that music terrible did i like it or not it doesn't really matter it just takes me back to being 19 again and i so in a, in a way i kind of like it for that reason so there's a lot of that music and i i've, I've definitely reached that point in my life where i'm listening to the 90 station and remembering what it's like to be 20 again brian r from part, Westchester. wait we didn't we didn't actually start with the gin blossoms though gin blossoms are great yeah i love the gin blossoms all right there's more music coming. Brian R. from Westchester, New York. Is it possible to make friends as an adult like you did in college or high school or junior high, according to Stand By Me, with that ongoing depth and connection that isn't based on having kids in the same grade? <laughs> so can you make friends That's based outside of having kids in the same class? As no. an adult? It's harder. It's definitely harder. It's really hard. I'm guessing it's harder now than ever, oddly enough, since we're all so connected. Um, I have made some friends as an adult because I moved from when I was what you know, I was thirty, I was twenty nine, thirty. I moved from New York City to New Hampshire, which is a very different place. And uh, through mountain biking, I made some friends, and I met a lot of people. But over the years, those got whittled down to like a, a handful of people who I consider to be really good friends, but mm -hmm. they're not. They're not. They're not Ron Connor 
friends. They're not, they're not Ryan. They're not, it's not that. Um, it's close at times, but you, you met, be, when you're older and you've got a bunch of shit going on, I don't think you can forge the same kind of relationship because you can't focus on the one thing. Like I used to go, you know, I, you know, Connor and I met in college. We were f- pretty good friends by the end of college. But in the time just after that, when you have nothing else, like I was like, I'm going to go to New York and hang out with Connor. And that's all I yeah, had. Yeah, we do. were we were friends and friends friendly in college, but not friends laughing. By the end, I think you know, it's like senior year. Well, we were we friends. Were, we were yeah. friends senior year, but we weren't like close, like super sure. tight, like we are now in college until after college. I don't know why. Well, there, there was a lot, go, but I mean, like, and I remember the like, that was the first time I met you. It wasn't, but you came out um, when I was in LA, and you were you were more friends with my roommates than I was me. Visiting really. your roommates, yeah. You're visiting my roommates, Steve. and. And you came to LA and you guys didn't do anything. <laughs> and I just thought, oh, he didn't come here to visit LA. He came yeah. to hang out with his friends. Yeah. And I remember that. And I was like, I really like that. That it wasn't like, hey, let's go out here. We and went to the stuff. pool. Yeah, no, but it was just like, well, yeah. I just want to hang out with my friends. Yeah. And we happened to be in this other place. And that kind of stuck with me. And you like, you would then, when we were, you know, younger. And it's funny because I think about it in our 20s, you and, and I. And ironically, like, I met my college girlfriend on the trip. Yeah. And I lost mine. Um, and, uh, that was another one. Uh, I think um, it was for the better. Uh, but but I, I liked that. And I think when we were in our 20s, you know, you would come to L.A. or I would go back to New York, you know, just because. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we didn't have any money. <laughs> that, was, that was extremely expensive to do. But that's those are those are like the best. I, you yeah. know, that, that, that's that's huge. And you can't you can't do that stuff when you're you know married with kids or whatever. Like it just doesn't. Uh, it's certainly harder and, and life seems shorter or d- the days seem shorter. Um, yeah. It's not impossible. Like I, no. I didn't meet Mike Romo until I was in my late twenties and he's one of my best friends now. Right. I didn't meet Hank until I was like 30. He's one of my best friends now. And he was, you guys, we didn't meet, I didn't meet Ryan until I was an adult. He's one of my best friends now. So like now, great. That's all twenties and early thirties. And it's hard, you know, as, a, as a, someone who was significantly older now, um, I have people that I, I'm friendly with, and it will 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 see. And then you've got your work friends, and who knows what those translate or not. Work friends are um, almost always transitory. It, Even almost, if you don't think occasionally, they, they occasionally they occasionally they 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 hang on, but um, it's harder. If, if, if I'm just it's less if time, I'm just, less time to hang out, less time to spend doing nothing. If I'm just speaking in my fanboy tar- terms, um, you know, the three of you, Connor, Josh, Ron, you guys are really easy people to make friends with. Like you're all very accessible, very wonderful people. Um, Mike Romo is a magical gremlin of friendship that just exists throughout time. And like- You should have seen him at the wedding, working that wedding. Right? Like- It was vintage. Mike (laughs) Romo has never, he's never met a stranger. He doesn't not know what the word stranger means because he's Mike Romo. And if you've met him, you are not a stranger. You are one of his friends. It's true um, that every time I text him, I think I think he thinks I'm his best friend and I'm so happy about it. <laughs> and like it's like once every six months. It's powerful. Yeah, he loves, you. He loves powerful. you guys. Like he loves I know, I, I, do too. I know that. I'm it's, not. it's 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 part it's, of it. Look, part it's of harder. it is like it's it's it's, it's, it's scientifically the, proven to be harder to make friends as an adult than it is when you're younger. True, but it's also like we have a self-selected community now. of really good people that yes. are all aligned in our goal of just not being assholes. And like that goes a long way in getting to, to persist. <laughs> He's our asshole. Uh, let's we got to move on. Matt, uh, Josh, two thirty-one. Thirty-one. Matt from New Jersey. 
occasionally during the weekly podcast, one of you, usually Connor, will comment that you need to speed things up because the show is, quote, running long. I've been wondering about this. Uh-oh, he's going <laughs> to burst the whole bubble. How are you determining what the appropriate length for the weekly podcast is? Usually the, seems to clock in a, the show seems to clock in a little over an hour. So are you trying to keep it around an hour? And is that self-imposed? Is there some other length restriction dictated by iTunes that I'm not aware of? Connor? It's all self-imposed limits. We, we talked we, earlier about the show being um, uh, a growing living organism. So the first episode is people who read the, read the ticker know at the bottom, the viewers at the room, not the viewers at home. Uh, the first show was 18 minutes long. And then it just became eventually over time and, and, and quicker than I thought when I looked back into, and looked up all the show numbers mm-hmm. when I made my master spreadsheet of all the shows. It sort of settled into an hour long show. Mm-hmm. There's no reason other than that's the, re- the length we'd like it to be. And then... And Josh, I've talked about this before, maybe on the Hangout, I don't remember where, but, you know, the longer the show gets, the more work it takes on the back end. Yeah, that, I mean, really. You got to edit it, you got to do the show notes. So, you know, if you do a two-hour show, that that multiplies a lot more. Like You you, you see the, the show when it comes out, but there's pre-production show, post-production the longer the show, the more work on either end. And we just don't have the time because we're older. It, it, it's sort of double-edged sword because, you know, and I'm speaking up from my own experience as a podcaster, I've never, I've done the pre-production for the show once, which was terrifying. Oh, yeah, we left you and J- uh, Jim in charge. Jim, right? yeah, yeah, that was, whew, that was rough. But um, there, the amount of time you put into the, the before the show is inversely proportional to the amount of time you put in after the show. So if you put in more time in front of the show, you end up with a tighter, better show that you'd need less editing on afterwards. And if you just let the show be free form, but you want to keep the show tight and, and, and short to within a reasonable length, then you have to like put in a lot of effort in editing and cutting things out. And it's just, it's you, you as a podcaster, you have to make it a, a, a you have to make a call where do you want to put in the effort? Do you want to make effort beforehand or afterwards? And the recording part is the fun part. That's where you get to have fun, dick around with yeah. your buddies. Um, and and the, the work either comes before or after. And if you, you know, people like Connor, do you want to put in the work before? And that's a valid choice. And it, it, it does help the show. Oh, I put along. in the work after too, man. Yeah. I, the, the, but I would also say this. These shows we're doing right this moment are really fun to do once a year. But none of us want to do a three-hour show every week. We don't have time for it. No. And also, so we barely have time to do the hour show. So many shows, Josh is like on the wire to get to a meeting when the show is yeah. recording is in. And I, it, it's one thing to be like the, the, the post prod time really is so that if you add twenty minutes to show, you're adding like thirty to forty minutes more that I have to work on it, yeah, like doing two, the two, least two fun X. part of the whole yeah. thing. The other yeah. part really does have to do with the audience and how I place myself in the audience is that like. I don't want to listen to an hour and a half, two hour podcast. I don't, I don't want to, I will get tired of it. And if I, if it gets to be too long too often, I won't listen to it. Like I will stop listening to it. You know, when the, the WTF podcasts kept started getting longer and longer and I was like, I'm not, I don't want to do an hour 45. Cause that's going to be like three times that I have to listen to something yeah. like an hour, like get in, get it, you know, leave before they want you to go. And I it's think just, it's just, it. a, it's a, I think we just, it's a good number. Yeah, like to me, yeah. the the perfect length of the show, and if I'm editing it, and like I can I can kind of fudge it, like with mm-hmm. the music, yep, is a is a is absolutely one hour. Like I try to yep. get the show to be one hour flat. If it's I can, 
make music a little longer, a little shorter to hit that one hour. I'll always do it because I like that. That's, I think it's the perfect length of the podcast. It's it's a little different now because of the pandemic, because I have found as a podcaster that so much of getting people to listen to your show is about whether or not they have a commute. And mm. lots of people who used to have a commute they don't, don't have, have a commute anymore. Yeah. And so... Yep. I have heard uh, th- through my networks that like the the 15 to 20 minute show is ideal. And I'm like, I get that that's ideal because that's how long it takes to take the dog out to go to the bathroom. It's not how long it takes yeah. to commute to work anymore. So, you know, it, it, it. there's always different theories on what the perfect number is. When we started doing the video show, it was like shorter's better no one wants to watch a long show on the internet that's why this that's why we started chopping up the shows towards the end like and then now it's like longer's better everybody wants to watch so there's no one no one which was our instinct the ideal the ideal length is the amount of time the person has available in their day to listen to content relative to their interest in listening to you make that content available to them you specifically josh i know that's fine we all know that it's rooftober Stephen H. Stephen H. He says, I've been thinking about this since Ron left. And then when Paul left, I love the work you do, but did you ever have any doubts about how to carry on as a twosome? And was there ever a plan B? Secondly, uh, any chance of an occasional guest third in the POW show, especially from an underrepresented voice, LGBT, person of color, bald, aging Welshman? I think Stephen is a bald, aging Welshman. Um. Connor's close enough. I don't even know how to do a Welsh accent. But uh, I think there was some hesitation in the very beginning. Like when Ron first left, we were like, oh, shit. Um, Can we do this as two? And if you look at the bottom ticker, and again, the viewers at home don't know that there's a ticker full of of fun facts going across the bottom. Uh, The original Jamoke era, Josh, only lasted like 20 shows until Ron came back. And then, you know, so in fact, it's coming across right now. So the original era was 370 shows. The Two Jamokes Part 2, which is now, is 190. When Ron came back, it was 118 shows. The Paul era was 99 shows. And the original Two Jamoke era was only 20 shows. Wasn't so wait, long? how long has this era been going? 190. So we're about to... No, 370 was, was what yeah, we had. Yeah, 370 have. was the original era. Huh. Uh, I, you know... I, I think that there was a point where I don't even remember. I don't think that I remember that there was two two Jamoke eras, quite honestly. But wow. I think that there was we a point forget where... Ron came back for a long time. But I, I think at the beginning we were nervous, and we settled into the rhythm of this. Actually, works pretty well. And I, th- I would like to also point out that many people often say, "Why don't you just make Ryan a permanent co-host?" And the and the Ryan's answer is always, "Why don't you ask Ryan if he wants to be a permanent co-host?" If Ryan wanted to be a permanent co-host, we, we it's fine. But it's a lot of work. It it doesn't feel like my place to say that either way like legitimately you know you I, I cherish my relationship with all of you including ron and i never felt like it was appropriate for me to step up to the plate and say hey make me a permanent co-host like i just didn't i didn't want it and it was never offered and so like there was never any ill will about what that relationship was meant to be and i don't know i just um I appreciate what I have with y'all. And like when I get to come on the show, it's super fun and it's a, it's a treat. I think I actually ended up liking, I like the fact that there is nothing to do with Ryan or not, but like the, the math of two people tended to work out well. And it's I different. That, it's fun. It's fun in the way. Yeah. That it's, it, and it's it kept, 
yeah. it kept it interesting for us after doing a three person show for such a long time. I don't remember what it was, but I, I was there was a, there was a conversation like, did we find a third person? And, and I remember just thinking, no, let's just you and I do it because we'd been doing it a little bit. And I was like, this is fun. It's got a little space in it. It's funny that you mentioned math because I think the math works out better with three because with two we tend to you and I hit the same books every week. Well, That's true. Pick, pick wise, that. so with, with three, it's almost impossible to do. Mm-hmm. Um, not a mathematician, but that's the, the math of it. The, the back true. and forth You're a spreadsheet expert. That's and having the room to talk is is more is is more. You know, there's more room with two than there is with three. You know, as a, as opposed to other folks uh, of underrepresented voices. You know, we we do the show with the people that we know. Uh, we're, we're not against anything. We are very 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 specific about the idea of. A personality that fits in with the kind of show that we do, and, and also just just from a nuts and bolts standpoint, they got to be able to do it during the workday. And yeah, so yeah, there's it, that too. There, like we we we, I don't even remember when we used to we used to do the show at night or the I don't remember. We, when we we've done it at lots of times over the years, but but I when mean, it was full fact- time, we could do whenever. But now it's like we have to be able to fit in during our workday, and that means daytime because Josh's kids. So that means I do it at six o'clock in the morning. In LA, Josh does it. He does it at seven thirty. He always says six. I get up at six. I wake up at six. I wake up a half an hour before the show too. You don't see me complain. I I would also say that (laughs) um, you know the three of us have never had a discussion about me being like the permanent third person. Like that's never been a thing that's been talked about. Like that's just not part of the discussion. Like the discussion we weren't trying to solve a problem. Right. There was no problem to solve. Like you guys do the show, the two of you. Great. I listen to it and I enjoy it. I, I love getting to come on when I get to come on. I love getting to be the third person. I love getting to be the other half of the Jamokes. Like it w- wasn't, you didn't need me to step in to Ron left a, a void, but like Ron is a singular person in his own right. And like, he wasn't asking me to fill in for that. And so I never offered. And so that's part of the, you know, that's part of why the dynamic works the way it does. Cause I don't, I don't have the same relationship that with the two of you that you have with Ron. I will say, I will say, I don't want to, I'm trying to speak out of turn. It's, it's hard to do every week. And I'm not, we're like, we're not digging, we're not digging ditches here, but I know it was hard on Paul to do it every week. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's a lot. It's a lot. It is a lot. It's a lot to do. We've we've been doing it since 2005, so it's sort of ingrained into our personalities and lives. But like, if you're not that person, it's hard to suddenly have to do this every week and read the read the books and do the show and edit it every third week. If you're you the also, third, you also notice like we don't, we we have a small group of people who come and do the show with us, and that's because we do not want to ruin the vibe. And the fact is like, you have to be someone who's pretty good friends with us. We aren't, we've never had in the entire time, a guest host, you know, like just brought somebody in to hang out with us because that would ruin the fucking show. There was a moment in it. There was a moment, Josh, that, that, you know, and I've, I've told you guys this privately, but I guess I'll say it publicly now. Like, Uh you know, Ryan's drunk and he's confessing. Go ahead. And sure. Don't you know that? When the sun comes up on your face. And my I... wee smated mother. Me ma. <clears throat> so the thing that I want to say is... <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, you're the best. We love you. Continue. Um, 
No, but the, the thing is, you know, I, I've, I've told you guys this before. I've told you, the two of you and Ron before. Like, you guys are my big brothers that I don't have, and that's important to me. And there was a moment where I think I was prepping to do the show with Jim, and it was going to be my first outing as, like, the guy who had to do the show by Jim myself. Viscardi. Jim Viscardi. Uh, go back to 799 to see who Jim Viscardi is. I was just I saying, Jim, Jim Ski, our, one of our other sometimes... True. in the chat room. I didn't know who you were talking about. I was talking about Jim Viscardi from episode yep. 799, the previous yep. episode of this very podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, Josh said something along the lines of like, he'd listened to the, the, the rough cut of the episode and was like, oh, Ryan, you get it. You actually can talk about comics well enough that I'm not scared, upset, yeah. nervous. We would leave the show you... in your hands, no problem. I remember saying that. Yeah, absolutely. The, that meant everything. That was huge. And it's like, well, I'm not going to ask to replace Ron on the show. Like, Josh gave me everything I needed to, like, be satisfied with myself and everything that I have to say about comics. Like, I'm done. P- peace out. I'll see you guys later. Well, we could keep going down this confessional hole here. Uh, but, we, Ryan, we love having you on, and you should come on as much as you want to come on. Eh. Okay. Somebody, somebody, here. someone who says, eh, can't be a permanent host. <laughs> no, that's exactly, he did exactly what he was supposed to do there. That's the joke. That, you t- you do the whole thing, you build it up, and then you deflate that fucker. Someone uh, Ryan... in the chat said, I could bring in Tom King to guest host and it wouldn't ruin the show. And that's true. There's lots of pros who I've considered putting the show on, but you know what? I don't want a comics professional to do the show. Where we shouldn't we have a comics stuff. professional on this ever. No, no, they won't talk about the stuff, honestly. So it yeah, doesn't work no, they... because they can't. They're their peers. They're whatever. So we, we have to find a different way to do those things. Dr. Ryan Haupt, read 33. 33 was written by William S. from Kansas City in the state of Kansas. William S. Burrow. I think it's Kansas. I just guessed. It could have been the other one. <laughs> I've been thinking about this since number 796. I assume he means number pay of the week episode. Yeah. The same day I listened to a Garth Entis. Yeah, you're not drunk. Oh, oh boy. Here we go. The same day I this listened to a Garth. This is a man who's got no sleep. He's got a new baby. Probably hasn't eaten dinner. He's drinking moonshine from Joe had, Bob. What was his name? He's not Boston. drunk. This is just what it's like to have a newborn. He's not, he's not anything. Go ahead, Ryan. Go ahead. Vic, Vic Bob and yes. Vic, boss Vic Bob. Continue. The same day I listened to a Garth Ennis interview on Word Balloon, another comic book podcast. I know Josh is hesitant to interview Garth Ennis, but what if the, but what if it wasn't about Preacher, but other topics like his War Comics or his Max Comics? If the answer is no, I throw it open to the broader group. Is there a period of war history you would like to see Garth Ennis cover in one of his war stories? Josh, is it true you don't want to interview Garth Ennis? You've interviewed yeah, Josh. Ennis. What the hell? You have interviewed Garth Ennis. I interviewed him. I don't think it went great. On the video show. It wasn't great. And I've listened to interviews with him, and I just don't feel like I have anything to add to it. But I you don't know that until you talk to him. I, I have a, Listen, I do the interviews. I have a very specific set of things that I need to make me feel comfortable with, A, wanting to do it, and to like I just I want it to feel a certain way. And if I don't think it's going to feel that way, I don't want to do it. Um, I tried to listen to an interview that he did recently and I just, I didn't want to listen to it. Like he, he's got a thing where he kind of doesn't want to talk about the thing he wants to talk. He'll do there and he'll seem affable. I don't know. He's not engaged. But what do they in... talk about? Cause I'd like, he'd love to talk about know. war comics. I, I didn't get that want to talk about war comics. You probably have a great conversation about war comics. Listen, we're not here to talk about this. No, no, no wait, you... actually, no, this is, this is a good point. Like you're, you're a good interviewer, Josh. So Thank you. what is your, 
when you are preparing for an interview with a, you know, not a Garth Ennis type, but like with whatever your talks flowed, what's your hook? What do you think about? How do you prepare to do an interview in a way that isn't trite, that isn't boring? Like what's, what do you, what do you look for in that person's oeuvre to, to dig a little deeper? Cause I know you do. I look for something that I feel that we can connect on. I don't want to be a person who's just asking somebody questions who is answering them. I want to have a conversation with somebody. There are certain people who do interviews and they act, they do, um, they have a professional uh, demeanor where they're answering things like, um, a good example of this, oh, hey, Brad Meltzer on a a year or so ago. That was a good interview. Thank you. And he was perfectly fine or whatever, but he is a professional to a certain extent where there's certain... He's a talking head. He knows how to talk on camera. Yeah, he does. And I think he was, for being that type of person, he was very um, uh, genuine, and and I think that he meant the things that he said, but it wasn't exactly as much of a a personal conversation... Sorry, personal connection as I liked. I like to have some form of a personal connection there, and I have to kind of be able to see it. So if you're walking up to somebody at a party and you're like, I think I can have a conversation with a person, it's almost that simple. Like I I, I have a very sort of I, – I, you know, and that, that was a, an opportunity that came up. He reached out. But he also told me that he goes, I asked Judd Winnick and Chris Eliopoulos, who both knew you, if you were okay. And they said mm-hmm. you were. You so didn't ask me. Didn't. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what would you have Fuck. said, Connor? It's not okay. That's for sure. No. We all no. know that. Um, yeah. I, uh, to me, like I, I hate, I hate interviews where the interviewer is uh, operating at a different conversational level as the person he's talking to. I hate fawning interviews. I hate like you, you just you do the best, great work. I'm so honored to have. You. I hate it. What are you going to do? Talk one hundred, Josh. What talk split one hundred are you going to do? I figured you should get Alan Moore to interview me. <laughs> okay, we'll do that. Whoa. We'll get right on it. Uh, real quick, just real quick. What is a war you'd like to see Garthens write about? I'm going to say I'd like to see him write about the American revolution. That'd be really interesting. I don't care which war he writes about. I want to see his thoughts on something that I've never thought about in that way before. So, you know, that whether that's his take on world war two, the American revolution, the fucking some other war, I don't even I'm know. I'm happy about. to keep writing about world war two. Right. I would like what to war? see uh, Garth Ennis write about the troubles. Ooh, I thought, hasn't he always been writing about the troubles? Isn't it all about the troubles? <laughs> I mean, it was my answer was either the troubles or the next one, which feels too ominous to to get into right now. That's so dark. Jeez, all troubles. right, too dark for this late late in the show. I'm gonna read the next one. Carol from HR wrote in, guys. Josh, he's so mad at us right now. Ooh, I'm not mad. No, he's not. Carol <laughs> from HR wrote in. <laughs> That's mad. <laughs> Carol says, "Hi, bosses. Please define the patron pick." The submission form simply says, what comic book do you want to discuss on iFanboy? Am I supposed to vote for the book I'm anticipating the most that week? Or am I voting for my personal pick of, of the week that I want to evangelize to you and the iFan base? I voted both ways, but frequently I've finished my stack by the time the form is due. So it's usually the book I'm most excited to read. The goal, either way, is to get you to talk about it. And I'm not above a chaos pick, like a random My Little Pony issue, if that's what the other patrons want. But I'd be curious to know what you see as the patron pick. P.S. I printed out the script for the show, so if you cut this email, I will know. Please we're doing a bit. I mean, it appears to me that the definition of the patron pick is to pick the most obvious book that we were clearly going to read anyway. 
A well, or B, this, pick the one that you know we'll both hate. And this is and the question. Like through. we've never defined it, and I don't know if we want to define it, but I think that's for a me, good point. The patron pick is whatever you want it to be as a patron. If you want, it, we've always said add a book to the rundown. That's what we say. That's true. Vote to add a book to the rundown. It's just to me, it could be guarantee this book gets talked about because sometimes people are like, oh, they'll definitely talk about this book, and we don't. So maybe it's a book you definitely want us to talk about, or maybe it's a book you think we haven't read or missed, or maybe it's a book you just really like. I don't know what it is because it's just a vote to add a book to the rundown. I I thought when we when we added the feature that it would be people saying these guys aren't reading this book, they should read it. But it's been all kinds of things. Sometimes it's, there's a lot of chaos picks in there. I mean, I think that's maybe the thing is that like that everybody's interpreting that for themselves some in one some way, but we shouldn't give instructions on it. I don't want to define it, Carol. Mm-hmm. I, I think it should be it's, it's vote to add a book to the rundown. Mm-hmm. Just whatever you just for whatever your personal choice that is. This is always one of the most exciting moments of the show, guys. Every week, every year, we look forward to this. And I'm going to every week, every year, every week, every year. I do this by myself every week, just just to keep tight, just um, to keep tight. I'm going to share. To my me, the patron pick often feels like a punishment. Sometimes it's a punishment, and for a while, it was a bunch of like horror books guys it's the annual report from chris from the ifanboy data analytics department and i was very happy to see this email because for reasons we'll get to in a second chris says first an apology my real life medical duties including five months of frantic covid vaccinating has made life incredibly busy thank you for the weekly cold open encouraging hand washing and mask wearing and getting vaccinated those messages remain as vital as ever um, as thank a result, you for Chris, for actually like vaccinating people. That's amazing. yeah. Chris is a is a medical doctor in addition to data analytics. It's we often he's got we'll a, he's got a side data analytics obviously over the medical doctoring. Uh, Chris says, as a result of my data analytics duties, had been I had to take something of a break, a back seat. I haven't been able to maintain a database as diligently as usual. This is true. Uh, I talked to Josh about that. However, in order to prepare for episode 800, I've blown through five months worth of patron powers in three weeks to generate a shorter than usual annual report, which is attached below. So Chris is a medical doctor. He maintains the report. Uh, he had stopped. It's, it's, I. It sounds like a terrible use of social resources. I know, right? Chris, rub it in my face. That I. Um, so this is this is the annual you. analytics report, which we're going to go through now. Wait a minute. Uh, we have the most doctors per pod for com- per comics so podcast. Uh, Patron powers. These figures relate to fanboy shows re- uh, released 20th September 2020 to 26th September 2021. This yeah, is I year five of the Patron powers see. program. Changes to the program in this year include the increase of the number of powers bestowed from two per show to four per show from third March 2021 episode 770. Total number of powers bestowed this year 164. God, that is so many powers. It is hard. This compares to 153 in 2019-20. Josh gave out 78 compared to 69. Connor, 76 compared to 70. Ryan Haupt gave out 5 compared to 7. Paul Montgomery gave out 2 compared to 0. Jim Viscardi gave out 2 compared to 1 in the previous time period. Total all-time powers bestowed. Episodes 550 through 799, which is 900 and... Oh, total powers is 918. You've given out 918 powers, guys. That's a lot. Josh is giving out the most, 389 powers. Connor's giving out 385. 
Josh and Connor together co-created one power. I don't remember that happening. Ron gave out 81. Ryan helped 41. Jim Viscardi, 10. Paul Montgomery, 7. Jim Marskowski, 2. And the eccentric benefactor, Damian Sherman, both Damian and Jim are in the chat room, also gave out 2. <laughs> the data analytics department projects that depending on the length of the 2021-2022 Christmas and New Year break, and assuming a steady supply of $5 or higher patrons, the 1,000th power will be bestowed at the end of February, beginning of March 2022. Superhero names. 2022-2021 was the year of the superhero name with 22 names bestowed at the same time as the power compared to 15 names bestowed the previous uh, session. This is the highest number of superhero names bestowed in a single year since the patron power program began. Power types. Most favored power type in the last year since episode 750 is uh, the uh, media savant. Three powers bestowed. Nicholas Allen, he got the preternatural capability of spotting every possible plot hole in movie script. Duke White can always spot the Canadian actor in a TV show. And Matthew Killison, is, in an instant, he can tell you the most important moment in any given media story. Uh, Stationary-based powers, four powers bestowed. David Gilman can sharpen pencils with the wave of his hand. Bailey Simone can refill any writing implement. His pen never runs dry. George Crawford, when using a pen or pencil, never runs dry. Counts as duplicate power. Sam Conti has eraser fingers. And the weather, climate manipulation powers, four powers bestowed. Ryan Silberstein, in a world that's just a little too warm, tiny oscillating fans <laughs> rise from out the back of his palms. That's a both hands, creating a gentle <laughs> current of air. Not enough to force, uh, uh, to fly or hover, but enough to create a cool breeze. Uh, or disperse Jay, smoke. <laughs> Jay, or disperse smoke. Jay Batsinger can summon a creative egg or create tornadoes. He's limited to a maximum of six inches in height. Their proportional <laughs> speed and force to their size. Taranga Basanya. Bas I'm sorry, I can't read from here. Taranga Basanake. I'm sorry, I said that wrong. How, wherever he's in the world, the weather is always Basniake. perfect. Well, the weather is always perfect when he needs it to be. And Nito Bazito can conjure up tiny thunderstorms in the palm of his hands. Sounds similar to the Chandler thing, but Chris, it is not. And then there's body transformation powers. Ryan Howard. When he eats meat, he can transform into the same kind of animal he just ate for up to 24 hours. It's fucked up. I don't remember that one. That's crazy. I don't remember that. I don't feel that, that, that is really Tristan has snake mouth. He can just look at his jaw to swallow prey. Grows long venomous fangs at will. Chris Wig has whip fingers. That was mine. Chris Ben Christian can turn any part of his body into an adorable foam appendage. That's mine. <laughs> and then the number one type of power given out was food-based powers. Eleven. Matt Palmer can make any food purely from vegetable matter. Uh, it tastes exactly as if it was from meat. Chukalana can watch any cookery show cookery show, and intuitively assume the style of cookery that the individual. Jason Muir can eliminate gluten from anything while retaining its glutinous properties. Scott Ricketts can de-cook foods. <laughs> Useful for bringing cook back, foods back from an overcooked state. Uh, Chris Hunter has the <laughs> ham touch. <laughs> Everything he touches turns to some this? type of ham. <laughs> huh? I'm laughing at my own jokes. <laughs> we do this every year, Ryan. Uh, George Sullivan can expertly stuff any food that requires it. Trent Deckard knows what the tacos are. Uh, James Valancode can make anyone like any food. John Costello can skewer any food on a stick in popsicle fashion. George, uh, Adam Candlet can reconstitute any bread if it's stale or moldy. And to bring it back to peak breadness. And Chris McKelland can smoke meat perfectly. And that is the uh, truncated uh, patron report for this year. Thank you for Chris for not only 
maintain that the database that we use for the reports, which he does, he has a, he has a spreadsheet that we, we use, but also for uh, being a medical personnel who is working on vaccinating people. Wait, did he important. format that? Because that is a beautiful document. No, this is his document. He said, I mean, it it's, 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 it's the most impressive thing about it. And I, I don't mean that in a way to denigrate the work. I'm just, yeah. So yeah. patron powers, patron powers, patreon.com slash ifanboy. If you give it the $5 higher level, you get your picture power live on the show. And Josh, the one you have, I believe, wrote an email in already. So double him. So uh, Alex Tremblay has the power to manipulate, uh, transform, and create banners. If there's a banner, he can change that banner. And what the text on the banner is, he can he can uh, make a banner appear uh, mm -hmm. that says the message that he wants on it. He's he's all he's all power. He. <laughs> Alex is to banners what Magneto is to metal. Oh boy, he's a he's a bannerman. He deals okay. in, he deals in banners. Then the paper ones, not Bruce Banner. It's not sure. Yeah, not yeah, yeah. Paper, you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. The ones you read. Look, Michael. Craig Karst um, can manifest uh, handkerchiefs. Uh, he botched it. You botched it. You botched it. I botched it. Karst, come on! No, you know you're not supposed to. His last name is a type of limestone topography that is indicative <laughs> of caves. <sighs> Your ass gets more nerdy the more you drink. Yeah. <laughs> Craig Karst, Karst can. There was yeah. a lovely acceptance there. That is true. Craig Karst can manifest handkerchiefs, in, but he always does it in a very flamboyant fashion. A flourish. Look, there's a flourish. We've had this. Is and it, it, maybe it's silk. Maybe it's cotton. Depending on your handkerchief need, maybe you need it for decorative purposes. Maybe you need it to blow your nose or wipe something. Your head's sweaty. Can he, is the color controlled? Like, say, for example, Wait, you're using like his palms are sweaty. There? Mom's spaghetti. He's got vomit on his finger already. Is this what it's like? Usually for, for uh, the outside of it. Yes. Yes, it is. So, uh, yes, Ryan, all those things are true. So, any color, any style. So there you go. Uh, <laughs> Richard Long. Has yep. an amazing power. He has an aura that exists around him that whoever is within his sphere of influence, which is I'm is purposely vague. Josh, I think you're gonna appreciate this. They use the correct word according to Richard for whatever they're talking about. I just talk so like that, that anyway. They don't if 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 Richard thinks that they should say Fewer instead of less, they say fewer. I if, see. So to therefore to express yourself most perfectly towards Richard is Richard's power. <laughs> Richard always gets it's 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 whatever word Richard He's, thinks is the correct word. Well, conversely, Richard is never confused by the people talking to him. Exactly. That's what it comes down to. So is he is he able. Always knows. He's he's everyone. He's able to understand all of the people who talk to them, regardless of that person's ability to or, communicate effectively, because they do. Because or, they're talking to him. Or irregardless. Never irregardless. But that's what I'm saying. If you're talking to Richard, that will never be confused. Well, 
Patreon.com slash iFanboy. We have a, we have to get a lot of emails to get through. That's how you can get a show uh, power on the live on the show. If you give the five dollar higher level, but any patron can vote out of book the rundown. It all won't kinds of ever not be confused. Josh, please tell the people about the thing. Patreon.com slash iFanboy is the place to go. You have uh, you, there's a good chance if you're listening to this, you're you're very aware of it. In which case, I'd like you to listen to my talk on it for the next thirty minutes or so. <laughs> uh, the patrons of the people who keep the show going they're the reason that we are talking about this 800 episodes later whenever they came in the last time whether it was the iFanboy membership uh, before that or the patrons that we went to after that like it's it is why this exists you people who said uh, you know, we will we will make them feel rewarded for this we will we will support this um, even if it's a little bit for you all that is is fantastic for us and we appreciate that. And what we have tried to do in giving back is the different levels of the rewards, which is the patron pick, which is the patron powers, is the talk split, which the patron pick and the patron powers have added 10 to 15 minutes to every show. That is a thing that you have done. You have yes. made the shows longer. Uh, we brought back the regular, although not necessarily on a schedule, talk explodes. <laughs> Book explodes, media explodes, and the YouTube content that is uh, the, the full length shows are almost fully up there. Um, I'll be in back up to, to YouTube presumably forever. Um, is part of the historical record, more so than the Library of Congress. Uh, and the monthly patron hangouts, which are very fun. They're like this, uh, but even less regimented. There's a new stretch goal, which is um, if we reach the next one, we'll add a comic book TV show special edition to our shows where we will talk about uh, the, the complete series of a show uh, that we are excited to talk about, not like episode by episode. Yeah, I'm yawning. It's really late. Um, like the Invincible show. Right. And after that, uh, the next uh, the next level would be a, a new... Uh, barbecue email uh video show on a quarter you don't have to basis. read a script word for word you could go highlights i know i got i'm i'm, I'm starting to fade i was like ah, look out to ryan i was like oh no my words are gone too uh then there's also the the communities at facebook and uh discord those those are really fun there is ifanboy.throthos.com there are 11 shirt designs i have a new phone coming and i'm gonna need a case for that some bitch but they don't have the new ones yet so as soon as they do i'm gonna put that on connor's wearing one of his and I didn't do this on purpose, but I'm wearing one of mine. Stay home, read comics. Uh, oh, there this, you go. this shirt has recently begun to fit again, which is nice. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you can put that on stuff. I got to get me a Clint is dead shirt. And I have I, one. I it's need awesome. to, Did it come yeah. out really well? I'm, yeah, it's, 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 good just, stuff. it's distressed. Great. That's great. Uh, go to iframe.com slash support. You will find a PayPal link for any of those things. Uh, you can go to iFanboy or iFanboy.com slash Amazon where you will find links to buy the shows, uh, books from the books blowed, and every show uh, has the, the music linked and the pick of the week linked. And then just if you want to buy stuff on Amazon because you're stuck at your house all the time, and at least when that brown truck comes, something good comes out of it. So you made uh, a friend as now. an adult, you made that as the UPS driver. No, he's been he's been replaced 20 times over since then. That first year though, god, what calves he had. Let's move on. <laughs> well, Chris from the iFanboy Data Analytics Department wrote in an actual question which we're going to answer. And his question is, I have also a question about the gosh scale. Can you define what you think makes a good old superhero comic? Looking at your previous iFan grumbles, Themes that come up about new costume designs that lose the spirit of the original or when a character's attitude is in conflict with what we've come to expect. I assume these books would lose, go lose gosh points. You've also spoken about fun plots where it's okay, perhaps even desirable to have a flavor of Silver Age silliness. What other qualities do you think a, com what other qualities do you think a comic that's high on the gosh scale needs to show? I mean... Josh, you coined it. Yeah, it is, uh, it's entirely unscientific. 
um, to a certain extent. It's what makes you think of how comics used to be. And your platonic ideal of what a superhero comic was at one point that gives you that same feeling that you used to have when you first fell in love with comic books. I t- that's it. Um, I, the, I think the Morrison co- coefficient is very important here. Mm-hmm. Why does it make sense? It doesn't have to make sense. Right. Uh, I think that's got a big part to do with it. But to me, I think the reason that I, I thought of it was this. It's this letting go of all of the things that you're supposed that people think they're supposed to have in modern comics. It's this just like, we'll just do the, do the silly thing has to be good. You can't just say something's dumb and be like, Oh, that's like old superhero comics. Like it, you just find this way to, to lose the weight of everything that has grown up around comics. When we all aged to be in our forties and all the people making comics are in their forties and fifties and everybody's going to be serious. And why do you have to fill the Batmobile up with gas? Just fuck it. You know, have a weird thing happen. Yeah. For a reason, narratively, you know, like like Tom King's comics, they're down low on the gosh scale. Not his game. Not his milieu. I think for us as men of a certain age, I think it's comics that evoke the spirit of the eighties. You know, like we're before the time when everything had to be explained, like you just talked about, where they were just they're just allowed to be fun superhero comics. You didn't worry about you know how people paid rent or. Oh, the Spider-Man, because that was his thing. But, <laughs> but I think it's also what, what Josh mentioned. It's a, it's there's a bombasticness, right? Yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, it, it that's a huge part of it. It's hard to define, but it's there. You need it. Uh, Josh, do um forty-three. Jump boy ahead. Forty-three is Danny from Savannah, Georgia. I have been thinking about this question since Civil War II. It's weird that a question from Georgia said that. I was like, oh shit, when did that happen? Uh, <laughs> are comics worse than they were back in the mid to late 2000s, or am I just getting old and less excitable? That's a big question, dude. I don't know if we have time for that. Background, I started reading in high school around 2006. Oh, fuck you. Generally liked most of the things I read. Now I find it hard to get into things and my subscriptions are at all-time low. I'm not sure if the comics are not as good or my expectations are higher or they just seemed better because I was a new reader or or were they just actually better? Because all those things. Yeah, I mean... And none of them. I next next question. Everybody thinks the best SNL cast is when they started watching SNL. I don't think that. Most people do. Most people do, though. Yeah. Connor has a spreadsheet that tells him. Wait, 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 wait. We're not gonna. No, no. What's your best SNL cast? Mine. Yes. The original cast. Yeah, you would say that. Yeah. I am with I'm with Ryan. By the way, no. Sorry, the second season cast with Anna Bill Murray. Yeah, the, for me, the best one that you know is is Carvey, Nealon, Hartman, Miller. That's, that's an all-time that's, great cast for sure. Does and that that just introduced me to the whole thing. But again, that's totally. Anyway, yeah. I, I, no, Ryan. Ryan is totally right. You 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 leave the dance with the one that brought you. So the stuff that you. But like, those were. I started reading comics comic. in the early '80s, but I still like the comics from later better. It just depends. Yeah, it just depends it's true. Like things. I started read, I started really reading comics in the late '80s, early '90s. That's not my favorite era of comics, though. Yeah, when you get older, you get less excitable. Things are less exciting. Well, because it's less. You don't see as much that's new. But also, I genuinely think that comics don't feel quite as original now. I think they're all trying to be original, but they're not getting to it as often or as as well as they were for a while. Yeah, I, and I just I I think genuinely we, we talked about it earlier in the show, but genuinely speaking. From Morrison's Morrison's JLA number one in ninety six. Mm-hmm. Sounds 
seven through 2005 to 10. That was the best era of, of modern comics. The, they were better than they are now. They just were. Here's what I think. That era, the post-bankruptcy era of creators came in with a certain originality that came from what was in the air at the time. Uh, freedom. And a, and a, and a, yeah, well, that's the, yeah, right. Nin- freedom to do whatever the fuck they wanted and to, to let, be given the, the room to do it. Because it didn't matter. Yeah. And, and you know, they're influenced by what they'd grown up reading. They're influenced by the films of the 90s uh, to a certain extent, whereas many of the creators here were raised on those creators. Mm. And it's a little bit of a copy of a copy to a certain extent. And, and the original voices... Um, aren't as easily found. And when they are found, they're not rewarded because things don't pick up in a way that let them grow. That, that, that's a good point. A lot of company men, but that's because they can get the job and they're, they're doing it, but it's not. But you know. every, every era of creators is doing what they read before. You know, the Roy Thomas yes. came in doing, doing what Stan and Jack or Jack and Stan did. Every does, does that. It's just that. Yes. But I think that this these creators are the ones who are influenced by this by the generation before. So it's your Warren Ellis's and your in your Bendis's and everything. That seems to be like with this generation of creators is. Whereas those ones were like looking at the whole at a much bigger history of comics. I don't know that that's true. It's my feeling. And there's always things to love. Yes, there's always your great comics. It's, it's just true. That I think that on the whole, if you look back at like, you know, uh, DC and Marvel, which is where which runs everything, and Image too, like. You know, then you had Vertigo going full blazes in the early 2000s as well. And that it was, was, it was just a better time in terms of overall quality. But that's but also well, the objective. Because the bar was lower in terms of like they had more freedom, but they actually was more money. So it's like two of those things. Let's do Ryan Reed 48. We're being really we're being really brutal with cutting, and I'm sorry, like I said at the beginning. You're, so, you're so good at that job, Connor. We're I, running I, you know, I appreciate you. Also, in the chat room, they were saying Connor Trunk, too. I am not drunk, actually. No, he's not. Look at the color. Look at him. He's regular Connor color. I'm not red. <laughs> All right, well. I've only had this much. That's hardly any. 48. 48. Robert, Robert B. from Dracula? No, it's Dracula. I looked it up. It's a real place. Dracula. All right. Well, <laughs> aging Dr. Acula. <laughs> <laughs> uh, why aren't. Why isn't there more of an effort to uh, buy mainstream? I'm sorry. Wow. I might have to cut you from reading. This is. No, a, I, I, thought, I thought a short one. You'd be fine. Continue. It's <laughs> very short, and I failed. Um, God. Why isn't there more of an effort by mainstream comics to create black and white comics, considering the success of The Walking Dead manga? <laughs> He's comics. not laughing at the question. Robert's laughing at Ryan. Like Batman. <laughs> It's like eight. It's like eight words, and you can't get there. So, why aren't comics making more of an effort I... to create black and white comics, considering the success of Walking Dead manga and especially comics like Batman All Black right, and White? I made it there. It just was. It was clumsy. It was like it was a roundabout route. That's fine. You took the scenic route. So, uh, I would first of all, we don't how successful is Batman Black and White? We don't know. Um, uh, Walking Dead is an outlier. No one is able to replicate Walking Dead's success in any way, shape, or form. Um, there's a, for every Walking Dead, there's literally a hundred other black white comics not selling that well. And manga comes and goes in terms of popularity in the United States. Like, m- most people don't want to watch black white movies, they don't want to read black white comics. 
I don't think it. I don't think it matters. I don't think anybody would try to make a black and white comic unless it fit with their comic. Nobody's. You probably. I don't know. The fact is, you're not. You're probably not selling any comics if they don't have Marvel or DC on them. Yeah, but it's like uh, why isn't? Yeah, but like, Batman Black and White succeeds if it does because they put super high profile prestige creators on it who just have yes. to do a seven page story. Like, and also got Batman's and in the title. Mitch, Mitch Gerrard's and. And mm -hmm. David Aja and all like that's that's why it succeeds, not because it's black and white. If it was color, it would do just, just as fun. I love black and white comics. I'm just saying it's not black yeah, I don't black and Walking Dead is not repl rep replicable. Replicable? Replicable. It's just not. No in comics or TV. Josh do oh no, this is for you, so I'll read it. James L from Vermont. Let me take this question off. Uh, question for Josh. After hearing him mention recently that he owns 10 guitars, people are hung up on his 10 guitar things. I know. I feel like I'm putting somebody through something and answering it. What are your cheapest guitars and how much do they cost? I have two reasonably nice guitars, an Ovation Acoustic and a PRS Class Electric, both in the five dollars to $700 range. I would just, I would like another guitar and I'm constantly looking at options, but I can't justify spending more than two or $300. And I worry about the quality of the guitar I can get for that price. It just won't be worth it. So Josh, have you got any cheap guitars that turned out great? Or did you have some great luck buying something underpriced on Craigslist or a flea market? Or is comics podcasting just fueling an avalanche of cash that you're investing <laughs> in expensive guitars? Um, <laughs> and if you're happy to just talk about guitars, what is your favorite guitar that you own? Let's not go 10 hours on this question. Yeah, okay. Um, I don't know if it's 10. I don't want to count, but I can't remember. Um, two or $300 is probably too low unless you're really good and you know what you're looking for and you can get your hands on things. Two or $300 means that uh, it's starting with like you'd have to replace everything in it to sort of make it into a quality thing. Now that's not necessarily a bad thing, but um, I have I have I don't have any really expensive guitars. Like that is the thousands of dollars. Probably the most expensive ones I own are were nine hundred new. Let's say and I only so have. What do you do with your avalanche of podcasting cash? Then you're investing it in T bills, T bills, um, T bills. <laughs> we have a we have a good deal of uh, medical bills around here. <laughs> that's what I can tell you actually happens. Um, I don't know. I find I find the four to six hundred dollars sweet spots good, and then I almost always um, re change with the pickups or whatever. I don't know that I have a favorite guitar. I think my probably my number one best, you know, the thing that works best. I have an American Telecaster that my wife bought for me in two thousand five. I gave her an engagement ring, and she gave me that guitar. And uh, it's uh, it's like an it's old Henry best. story. No, it's just like uh, it's the it's the best. It can do anything. I don't own a Taylor. I own a Guild Acoustic. I wanted a Taylor for a little while, but they're really expensive. But instead, I bought a Guild Acoustic. It was, it's an eleven hundred dollar guitar. I bought it with a repaired crack on the back for three hundred dollars on Reverb. It is awesome. Uh, let's do. Hmm. 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 Uh, let's do Josh. Do fifty. Elon P from South Africa, and I cannot do that accent. So you don't have to worry about it. Certifica. <laughs> say I can't. I literally can't do it. All I can say is diplomatic immunity. Exactly. <laughs> aside aside from a handful of titles, I would drive past that house sometimes in L.A. with the stilts. Yeah. Lethal weapon too. Aside from a handful of titles that I read on Comicsology, I mostly switch entirely to trade because between double shipping and single issues, increasingly costing five dollars or more, and that's not including the volatile conversion rates, import fees, and tax here in South Africa. 
I'm so sorry. That's the worst. I'm sorry. Yep. I've reached my breaking point with keeping up on comics on a weekly basis. I assume I'm not alone on this, considering that the ever worsening sales charts. How close do you think we are to reaching a point where the single issue model becomes entirely financially unviable? Or have we already crossed that Rubicon? And after your discussion on one of the hangouts about how badly Marvel and Image and to a lesser extent DC are doing in bookshops, do you think publishers are even remotely ready to make the jump to a different publishing model? I, I would first say that the, the industry in a whole is doing really well sales-wise. Like sales are way up during the pandemic um, across like if you take the aggregate of all their sales. So it's not like it's crashing or anything. Um, I don't know that we're they're un if they were financially viable, they wouldn't do it. But right. they wouldn't. They wouldn't do it if they were losing money on the single issues. They wouldn't make them. Um, I don't. I mean, obviously, I don't. I like reading collected editions more than single issues, but I don't think they're going anywhere anytime soon. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Also, if I, they went away, that the trades would double in price because they're 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 financed by the single. Right. I I don't know. I, I like I I don't quite understand the economy economics of it before. Uh, it just doesn't. They're selling less and less and less and less issues, you know, and at a certain point, I do think that one of the corporate overlords will say like, yeah, we're making money on it, but why bother? Because it's not enough. So, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it, they, they clearly make money. Yes. They, if they lost money, they wouldn't, they wouldn't be, they'd pull the plug, the pull, the plug, the pull, pull would be plugged. None of those are right. The word, word, order of the words. Uh. Ken O from Madison Heights, Michigan, had two questions. I'm going to ask his second one, which is shorter. This is slightly different than the one before. When was the last time you guys saw each other in person? We're going to say that for the three of us. Ryan, when was the last time you saw Josh in person? Was it my wedding? No. Uh, was it? Was it when you were here? When we went mountain biking like forever ago? Right. You and I went mountain biking forever ago, and it was great. It was your wedding. It was Connor's wedding. It must have been Connor's wedding. It was absolutely Connor's wedding. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's last time I saw Ryan. Ryan used to be a regular visitor to Los Angeles, and he stopped doing that. Me and Mike cry about it all the time. Um, last time I saw Josh, Josh you know, I usually see each other, used to see each other once a year during Christmas summer break. I'd go to some uh, vacation near where he lived, he'd come down for the day. But since we haven't been going on vacations in the last year and a half, I haven't yeah. seen Josh. In a while. So 2019 would be the last time I saw Josh in the same room. Mm -hmm. But was that the year Mike Tire blew out the ice cream place? Yes, that was yeah. the last time I saw that you. Awesome. That was awesome. That guy who fixed, couldn't fix it was so New England. <laughs> he didn't give a fuck. <laughs> he blocked the whole drive through. He didn't give a fuck. Um, Josh 53 53 Mark N I've been thinking about this question since episode 700 when Dr. Ryan Haupt called me a Tom King hipster unquote oh. as part of the answer to a question I asked then he was probably right what's your single what's your single favorite Tom King book I think I'd still go with Sheriff of Babylon Ryan what's your single favorite Tom King book good question should we, um... should, we should we try to remember all of them Hmm. We're not gonna be able to remember all of them right now. He had. Has anyone else read his first one, his first major uh, miniseries? It was the space one with Kyle Rayner. The name of the, the Omega. The Omega Men. Yeah. Omega. I tried to. No. I, I read. I, it. I didn't like I it. I didn't finish that. I didn't like it. 
Um, he's got Sheriff Vision. of Babylon, Vision, Mr. Miracle, Batman, Catwoman, Batman, um, uh, The Strange Adventures. Um, is that all of them? That's not all of them. No. I can't Rorschach. Rorschach. I mean, my my answer is M- Mr. Miracle. Yeah. That's I love the- I love Sheriff of Babylon. It's probably number two. Vision's up there for me. Vision's 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 up there as well. That Super was good. I kind of forgot Supergirl. about that. That's a, that's a been that's a really fun one. Which one? Uh, Supergirl. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm Super kind of blown away by that. It. Oh, Superman up in the sky. That's up there. That's, oh, that's good. It's really good. It's a really good one. Up in the air, up in the sky. Look up in the sky. It's up in the sky. I still, I still really like Vision. Vision's your number one. <laughs> it can be number one. There's nothing wrong with that. It, 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 it's a game of inches, but it might be. Josh, yours is Mr. Miracle. Mine's Mr. Miracle. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Uh, Josh, you're 55. I thought you said 355. And yeah, I was 355. Like, I'm a Joel L. of Prosser, Washington says, I know several of you regularly pick up LPs and have a rather large collections. I've got two questions. Over the years of collecting, what's your biggest or favorite LP find at a thrift store? Goodwill, local charity store, blah, blah, blah. I find that great LP finds are getting harder to come by in the past 10 years. Do you think that it has anything to do with every TV show, movie, now often beer commercial? The show's an apartment has a record player with a shelf of LPs in the background. I'm hoping that there are stacks of Morbin Tabernacle Choir and Jimmy Swagger records, but I have a feeling they're taking great records off the market to be unloved and unlistened to. What do you all think? How well, I assume people buying records are not listening to them or are not loving them. I, th- I think that there are probably different kinds of record people. Just like there is anything, I I buy records the same way that I do anything, very very specifically, Impuls- and... impulsively. No, not impulsively, because you I. You were don't... just saying earlier how you bought a record impulsively. No, but that was like a thing that I loved. Like I don't buy. Well, it doesn't mean you don't love it. I know, but impulsively is like, oh man, I should buy all these. You know, like whatever it is when you see them. I don't want to add anything that I know I'm not going to listen to later. Question. Mm-hmm. And I think I know the answer, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Do you ever buy used records, or is it all new pressings? I buy I buy used records and I. If you have. go to like a thrift store, or antique store that are all over I, I New find, England, and look, look at the records or not. I mean, those are usually like every time I've ever spent time doing that. There's nothing in there that's worth looking at, and they're in shitty condition. And I I don't want. So you're not making any thrift store finds. Not really. If anything, like I bought, like I needed, I wanted the first Pretenders album, and so I bought it used, you know, but I knew what it was from a shop, like. That that dumpster, di- I hate dumpster diving or like going mm-hmm. through because it's needle in a haystack area. I don't have that much time. I usually know what I want. You know, if I ever saw something great, in one of those, I'd pull it out. But then, I, you know what? Actually, the last time I did that was I, there's a flea market that's near us that's basically like Trump flag heaven now. So I won't go there anymore. But um, there was a bin and they had, uh, they had two records. The last two records I bought like that were um, Beach Boys Christmas album. Mm-hmm. And um, mm. it's a good. No, one I'm though. sorry, it wasn't the Beach Boys Christmas. It was Beach Boys Live in '66, I think. Um, and it was so fucked up you could barely listen to it. And then um, the Steve Martin Let's Get Small album. I bought those two. Those are the last ones I bought. Um, and it's rare that I put on a comedy album to listen to while working yeah. in my office. So, I mean, I I don't. I mean, I've certainly looked at albums and records in like antique stores and mm-hmm. if i saw something i really liked i'd probably buy it 
I have a couple of like I think my mom sent me like a bunch she had like of old like really battered records. I have a bunch of those. Lindsay's dad had a bunch of them. Like he's got amazing albums from like 68 through 70. Yeah. But I don't I don't I tend to just buy them new, new pressings. Um Oh, that's a great one. Are those yeah. his, his his records? Yeah. He's got Elton John's Andy. greatest hits. This Jimi Hendrix? No, Flying the Family Stone. Oh, I see. Okay. He's a lot Temptations, of Temptations. Greatest hits. This is Otis you know, Redding. Donovan's Donovan greatest Bay. hit. I actually grabbed this because I was like, I'm going to listen to this Donovan album. Awesome. Um, I got a bunch of stuff like that downstairs. Why, why are LPs hard to find? Because people are into them again. Well, the, I don't the, know that's about TV, but it's just people are into them. Again. There's, I think the thing about LPs, like good ones, is that people have realized well, their value. Is. For decades, they were just around everywhere, and nobody wanted them, and so you could go find them. But now people understand their value. So for find something that's good, you're gonna have to pay for it. Ryan, can you handle one? <laughs> Can't even answer the question. Fifty-six. <laughs> We're gonna try this one. You guys be so mean to me. Okay. Get close to the microphone. Closer to the microphone, Ryan. There you go. <laughs> microphone awareness. You know why this doesn't bother me when he does it? Because he's not running the show. When Connor's running, Connor runs the show. So if he's not there, I'm lost. But we can just watch Ryan. this guy totter around all night. Ryan, there you go. Get up, right? Get up, and I love that mic. Tom C. from Newcastle upon Tyne, United Kingdom. I didn't say I have sex with my mic. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard Josh say, "Oh God, he got unsexy." <laughs> it did quickly. <laughs> I've heard Josh say, "That's not my Hawkeye." A few times, and always wondered what he meant. For Josh, <laughs> what is Hawkeye's <laughs> core personality, and which comic run best showcases this? Question mark. Good job, Ryan. Good job. <laughs> don't, don't. Don't reward that. Sorry. I'm just trying to be helpful. Hawkeye's core personality. Uh, we talked about this, I think, when we did the last, oh, the Vision and Scarlet Witch. I'll, I, just, I just hear maniacal laughter downstairs. Yeah. I, I, his core personality is uh, a guy who wants to be more than he is and is putting up uh, a show. He's the classic underachiever who just wants to get up there. Yeah, but he, he, he can do it if he really didn't self sabotage. Yeah, and he's he's he thinks both more and less of himself than he is at any given yes. moment. Um, and he's not he does not come off as being particularly heroic. Yeah, and it's interesting. Like he's he's, Ryan, put, you're a huge he's put upon that people don't recognize him for his greatness. But in a so what's what's way. the quintessential Hawkeye book? Is it West Coast Avengers? Mm-hmm. To me, yeah, yeah. Okay. We, this next question is a visual aid, and so the viewers in the chat room will see it, but the viewers at home will not. Apologize. Zach C. from Houston, Texas says, I've been thinking of this question since I saw this beautiful sketch that Lee Weeks did on Instagram of this character. Ooh. Lee Weeks is the fucking best. The question is, does the thing have teeth? If not, how does he chew? Where, does, where do they go when he transformed... If so, are they rocky like his skin? Do they grow proportionally when, with him as he grew? I'd love to hear your insight into this important scientific question. And the good thing we have a scientist, Dr. Ryan Haupt. Dr. Ryan Haupt, does the thing have teeth? Yes. He does have teeth. Really? Yeah. I don't, have we ever seen his teeth? 
I don't believe I have. I, he, whether we've seen them or not doesn't matter to me. He's a mammal. <laughs> oh, Ryan doesn't see. care about what you've seen. Do he mammals... cares about what he knows is scientifically correct. Well, yeah, but what happens when a mammal is exposed to cosmic rays? They you die. Well, exactly. <laughs> so that's not... So, like, the, the these four individuals, uh, through their fantasticalness, survived the exposure, and in surviving that exposure, all four of them retained their teeth. I think and that so he where are they? I think that his lips are rock and they're, they're his teeth. Although the and you know what I just realized what it was that was so weird about the um the Vic Mackey thing is that he did have teeth and it was unusual. Here here's oh. the thing with here's the thing with the thing. My understanding of the way Marvel Comics works when it comes to the thing is that he is a human, right? Like yeah. that's, that's always been the thing. It, the, he's got he's got. <laughs> it's hard to talk about. It's hard to talk about. Uh -huh. Um. He is a human being who happens to have rocks as skin. In every other aspect, my understanding is he is human, right? He has lungs. I don't know that that's true, though, because there was a story where the, 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 the no, rocks were on. coming off underneath them was like goo. Yeah, but he said it was his skin. Like, if you took your skin off, there would be some goo. So, Ryan, are you saying, like, underneath the skin, he's got, like, a regular human digestive system? The thing I've always heard about the thing, I'm just going to lean into it. Is yeah, lean that, into it. Um, he is human, except for his cosmic mutation. So, like, I, they, they always say the thing is the, the strongest person, human, whatever, in yeah. the Marvel Universe. Like, the Hulk is something different because he's exposed to gamma radiation, whereas... Ben Grimm is still human. He's just a human who happens to have. Wait, what kind of radiation is cosmic rays? Cosmic. That's no, that's not. There's Kirby a... rays. They're Kirby rays. No, there's actual cosmic rays. They're not gamma radiation. Well, there's, there's actual radiation, radiation. In, in all throughout space. That's why they have to shield I ships. I know, but that's I'm saying there's different kinds of radiation. That's not gamma radiation. There's a no, kind this of is Kirby radiation. radiation. Is. But uh, it turns you from a man into a stretchy man. If Ryan was normal now, he could answer this question, but he <laughs> can't right now, and it's really bothering me. <laughs> the point being, I just looked through some photos, and it looks like he's been drawn with teeth uh, by Kirby yeah. and by others, depending on the angle that you're looking at him. I think a lot of times they don't show it, so I always tend to think of him as having like like rock lips that he has blue eyes. Teeth. Might as well have teeth. Yeah. If he's a human, then why is he strong? I don't think he's human. I think he's a rock man. Is he just a human? He's a man with made of rocks. This is this is this is we we're we're right now like the ages. we need to we need to not keep we could we could just be on the forever. We're, we're all thinking quietly, and that's not a good sign. That's well, not good chat, radio. The chat is destroying me right now because it, it, I don't think that you have the ability to read the chat and do the show, and I think you're gonna <laughs> I can, have to give one of them up. A, there's a vague sense of what's happening in the chat. Cosmic rays include gamma, but also alpha and beta. And Kirby. <laughs> okay, in the Marvel universe, the yes, yeah. they include Kirby. Because when you go up in space, I mean, does, you don't turn does, to a man what stretches. Does you Reed do that Richards only in Kirby have books. teeth? Does Johnny Storm have teeth? Does Sue Storm have teeth? I don't why know. would why would the cosmic rays remove the teeth from one of the four fantastic adventurers and not the rest? They well, that doesn't that that logic falls apart quick. Um, 
does he if he has normal teeth, he has normal human teeth in there, wouldn't they get severely damaged by his rock lips? No, because our okay. teeth are harder than most rocks. I was on a field trip with um, geology students from some uh, universities this last weekend, and part of um, part of teaching students to be geologists is putting rocks in your mouth and grinding them up. Against <laughs> your teeth. This is some kind of hazing shit. It's not. Um, so there, there are rocks where you the put the rocks you in can, your mouth, kid. Ki- the way you can tell, like, is this sandstone? Is this siltstone? Is this mudstone? It's it's teeth, right? Your teeth, your lips, your 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 the sensitivities in your mouth have a better way of de- I get it determining that that fine grained substance than your fingers do. So we encourage students, and we do it ourselves too, to put those rocks in their mouth to grind them up and and feel what they're doing. And a student asked me, "But isn't this going to damage our teeth?" And I said to her. No, because your teeth are harder than these rocks. Your so why do people are... crack teeth on like food? Yeah, well, uh, uh, this is not what this is about, Connor. This is about, <laughs> this is about wow. rocks in your mouth. You just Fox News that shit. <laughs> <laughs> your teeth are hydroxyapatite. It's it's a very hard mineral. Most... What about like a forty year old man who's been drinking diet soda for too long's teeth? Are those harder than rocks? Those are like porous rocks. Yeah, those cause... are rocks that that that, that I can't water speak to filters your, through. Your your personal carbonic acid experience because I'm I... I'm having recession. <laughs> That's gums. Let's not let's get off this topic. No, Give me another gums question, is, Connor. Is, gum recession is just the erosion of your enamel around at the gun line. Uh, Ryan, do sixty. We're at the home stretch, guys. By the way, we have only a handful <laughs> left. I've cut a lot. Question sixty is from Lucas B. Number one, has a comic ever made you hungry? Number two. Can you remember a certain food you found particularly beautiful drawn? Parentheses. For me, it's the eggs from Starve Number 2 by Daniel Zezel. 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 Okay. Number three. What do you consider your own outstanding culinary achievement? Oh, that's number three is where the the discussion will happen. So has comic ever made you hungry? No, I don't think so because food is not really drawn very like realistically in comics. So, yeah, no, and like the best, the most memorable food. Oh, maybe, 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 maybe cup noodle. Hmm. Maybe cup noodle. That would be the one. I feel like the most memorable food stuff in comics is when it's like silly. It's like it's weird. So like chew or something. I feel like oh, there's always a turkey with the leg that comes out yeah. like thing. Like it mm-hmm. never looks like a real food. So, mm-hmm. no, can you remember a certain food? Now I will say the the book you mentioned, Starve. That was about a that, that was a uh, exception to the rule, and that had good looking food, realistic looking food in it. Hmm. Great book, know. great, great, great book. That's true. I can't. And I then, don't know that I can answer those first two questions. What do you, and we? I'm not going to let the egos run amok on this one too long. What <laughs> do the, you consider your own outstanding culinary achievement? I'll get mine out of the way. Uh, I I made some ribs probably ten years ago. Um, I love that. I that. Finished on the grill. And they, I literally picked them up, and they just the bones came out, like just like whoop. It was just so tender. This the bones just came right out. Josh and Ryan, both self-proclaimed culinary geniuses. What are you? Uh, what are your achievements? I made a I made a mushroom pizza the other night. It was very good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, buddy! Oh, buddy! <laughs> 
Are you doing the midnight feedings? Is that, are you at all in charge tonight? <laughs> just checking. Let's give it a pass. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I've never seen this. Josh, beautiful. Josh, what's your culinary aesthetic? I made a I made a flourless chocolate cake. I saw an Instagram ad for the New York Times food blog, and it was like, this is the best chocolate cake ever. And I was like, Lindsay, I got to go to the store. And I went and I got the stuff and I made a cake and I've never made a cake like that before. And I like did a ganache frosting and then uh, there was an espresso whipped cream and it was so fucking good, the whipped cream. But then we realized that night that we can't eat espresso whipped cream before we need to go to bed. No. Because we were flying, man. <laughs> we were we were going. Uh, and if I have to say one other thing, um, every time someone's like, it's so hard to cook a turkey, I was like, it is not hard to cook a turkey. No. Turkey's super easy to cook, not dry out, and make good. You just gotta fucking pay attention to what you're doing, and it's great. I love the giant chicken in the shape of a sphere. Yeah. Just do it right. Yeah, I um, I've and never enjoyed a flourless chocolate cake, and I've had many. I, I, don't know, I don't know that it was flourless in that same no, I'm sense. Saying they're not good. Connor, how do you feel about mushroom pizza? I don't really like the the, the texture of mushroom. I like the flavor <laughs> of mushrooms. mushroom. I like like a marsala wow. sauce. Everyone I, listening, I, I just got double rejected. No, no. <laughs> I like the flavor of a mushroom sauce. I don't like the texture of the slimy. This mushroom. wasn't a sauce. This was a this was an olive oil base. On yeah, the you can dough. take that shit out. You take know what? I, I think largely, I don't think I've ever had well cooked mushrooms in my life. I roasted the mushrooms in the oven before putting them on the pizza, so they were mm-hmm. cooked. Right. All the, all the and how did you remove the dirt taste from the mushroom? Because Water. that's the problem with them. Clean them. Josh, do 61. Uh, Brian C. of Cleveland, Ohio says, are comics too cheap? I know we all wish comics were still a dollar, and I'm not eager to pay more for them, but when I think about the number of people working on a single issue, the specialized skills they have, and the time required to write, draw, letter, color, and edit the comic, I start to wonder if even $5 is too cheap for a comic. Do you think the comic readers undervalue the product? What a what a well-reasoned and... and um, uh, perspective view of of how comics work i think in a way yes in ways no yeah i think i think the answer is both we've always talked to the people in charge of making the comics and and i remember when you know it was like the thing to say why aren't comics made in cheaper paper we'll get to the why the fact there's no cheaper paper but the the fact is they would always say it doesn't matter what it's printed on the cost is the people Mm mm-hmm the cost of the specialized skill of these artisans who put these books together every every month. They're expensive because they're really good at what they do. Um, and if you want them to do it, then they have to make so a, a certain sense. They are, they are undervalued by, by readers. They are. Um, but at the same time, $5 for 20 pages is, is a lot to ask for anyone. I mean, the problem is that the audience isn't big enough to sustain the economies of scale. They can't scale yeah. Yeah. So, if there were more readers, then everybody would get what they want. You know, if you tripled the number of readers, then comics could be cheaper and the people could be paid more. But that ain't happening. There's no magic bullet to lower the price of comics uh, because of the cost of the of the talent. If you want, like everybody wants great art with with detailed backgrounds and feathering on the costumes, and like then you got to pay a premium for it. Yeah, you got people who went to school for that you know and, yeah. and and then there's the support staff there's an editor assistant editor and you know yeah all that shit frank what's, what's yep, the answer like yes or no are comics too cheap we said we said the answer's both they're, they're not the problem is 
I think five dollars for twenty pages is too much, but at the same time, people are expensive. What do you do? I don't know the answer. Yeah, like I understand why it costs that much. I don't think that I'm being gouged. I don't. I don't think that somebody out there is taking a forty cent product and paying and spending. No, they're not raising the. They're raising the price. They're also raising the price because they're selling slightly fewer than. Right. Exactly. You know, booming before. It's booming because the numbers are going up. Because I don't think, but I don't. I don't think I'm getting ripped off. I don't think there's some somebody like making a huge profit off it, other than the people. You know, you got to pay the you got to pay the folks, and this is that's how the math works out right now. <clears throat> then you got to make it. You got to make it valuable to the parent company who's doing it to maximize shareholder value. People in the chat room keep talking about how much comics cost relative to streaming services, but streaming services have tens and hundreds of millions of subscribers. That's why they're able to be cheaper. Also, they're also losing money on those. Uh, <laughs> Netflix is in a huge amount of debt, like like a staggering amount of debt. Ugh, I think most people don't realize that. Frank S. from Phoenix, Arizona. I've been thinking about this question since you started giving away patron powers. What kind of gods are you? Omnipotent gods that merely know the powers that already exist within the patron, or are you more active gods, cursing the patron as you see fit? Where does your ego land? I'm not sure I know how to answer that. Are uh, you? Are you? Are you? It's are you bringing out the power that already was in the light? Or are you just? Are no, you? We, we're, cur- we're, cursing we're cursing them. them. I think we're, we're we, number two. We curse them. Yeah. I don't think we're cursing them. I think. No, that... what I mean is like we are shocking them with a power that oh. exists within them already. Oh, I don't think of it that way. I really do think of it more of the yeah. other. I'm identifying it. Oh, this is what this is. Yeah, I, I feel as if no. it, it comes to me. But that, that's interesting because Josh, I true, I, I truly do think I'm cursing them. Hmm. <laughs> I don't want to do that though. I, 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 I would be a benevolent god. I'm a very, I'm a very good direct manager. I think, uh, you know, I, I, I want, the, I want to see their success. No, no, I'm not saying we're not we're not giving out bad powers. So occasionally we do, like this is a curse on you. Mm-hmm. He's saying, are we watching this dude walk across the street and say, Oh, that guy has this power within him, I'm going to uncover it, or are we just gonna zap him with this power? And that's the second one. I, I'm doing the first. I'm doing the second. You're saying these people have the power within them and you're releasing it. I'm saying that I'm not saying I have chosen this power and I will bestow it on this person. I am looking at it and going, Oh, that's the power. No, I'm identifying I'm doing it. the second. I'm doing how do I mess up this person's life? <laughs> Jeez. All right. The truth in, in, in Vino Veritas, Ryan. Uh, Josh, do uh, 63. Mark V says, I've been thinking about this for many a year now since I got back into reading comics. Why, in floppies, did they advertise film soundtracks so much? Do people even buy film soundtracks? Is so he talking about soundtracks or scores? I don't know. Because I buy soundtracks all the fucking time. It's a huge part of my LP collection. Oh, I really? Ass- oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. I get yeah, teased. Uh, I get teased for for playing film soundtracks on a. a well, now, is it soundtracks or scores you're talking about? I don't know because I haven't seen an actual floppy comic in forever, so I don't know what's in soundtrack. There. I'm talking about like Inside Lewin Davis or uh all well brother we're out thou or Watts. song compilations song compilations from the music movie mm-hmm. scores different that's the that's the music in the, the bed the music bed i'm talking about soundtracks i probably have like 10 or 15 or 20 soundtrack albums i got triple rain playing scores scores now there's a hugely popular scores are hugely popular among certain people i know some, some people i'm just like saying I'm, I'm trying to tell you i i 
I was on a, this was years ago, but I was on a field trip in um, Eastern California and I didn't know, I was driving and I didn't know what music to play because it was like, it was a group of people that I didn't know that well. And I was like, well, I'll just play something that's popular. And so I put on, I, I'm going to sound like a fucking dork. No, 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 no. It's not I, unusual well, to buy scores. I know like, lots of people like, buy scores. I put on the instrumental Iron Man, like Iron Man 1 score. I don't remember. That's kind of nerdy. I don't remember it was, that at all. It was fucking nerdy. It was, it was dumb. I, I botched it. I did not do a great job at, at curating the musical soundtrack of this field trip, but I was also driving. I, I Whatever. I botched it. It wasn't great. I, 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 I think the interesting theory is that this stuck with you and this pulled this out. That was there was this one time where yeah, I thought no, I'm about it. I think it's not important. A, not to a great score either. Lots no. of people buy scores. Lots of people, scores are very popular, especially among film nerds. They're very popular items. Yes, and film nerds and comic nerds are related, so that would make yeah. sense if they put those in there. Yeah, I, I only own a couple. I mean, most of my scores are like John Williams Star Wars scores, but like they're very popular. I have. Yeah, I've, I've got. I've, I probably have at least twenty soundtracks, though. If we're talking about soundtracks, I have a lot of soundtracks. I've got like the four. Answer, the answer, actual question: soundtracks. I have no idea about advertisements of film soundtracks yeah. in floppies. We haven't read those in a while. Um, you know, it's great. You know, it's a great score. Jerry Goldsmith, Planet of the Apes, the original. It's one of my favorite film scores ever. Also, a great movie. Absolutely. We're getting to close to the end here. So here is Paul P's question. He's from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Do you ever read comics in print format? Here we go. And if uh, do you ever read comics in print format anymore? And if not, why the hell not? Asking as someone biased against digital, which is grossly inferior comics reading experience. No. Nope. Single uh, issues. No. No. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't read a single issues paper comic in probably close to a decade, and I, I mean, I read paper. Uh, trades all the time. I have tons of them. Can, I mean, these are. I mean, I, I, I'd be curious to dig in a little bit more. We don't have time, but just we have time. We got all the time in the world, Ryan. We don't. We got nowhere to be. We don't. We Life don't. is a because square the circle. More I talk, the more people make fun of me in the chat. Don't look at the chat. <laughs> those, are just a, those are just a bunch of nerds on the internet. Listen, they want to be in your chair. I can't help but read the words that pass by my eyes. However, we love you, the however, chat. We're just, we're just whomever, whatever's happening. Um. Ryan, how do you, how, you read digitally? Yes. T- to say that it's grossly inferior to the comics reading experience is is baffling to me because like I I actually love reading digital comics. I love that like I can wake up in the morning and if I recognize that I have 10 minutes before I have to do something in my life, I can just grab an iPad and read a comic. That, that to me is like, that's a benefit of digital comics. It's huge that I can read a comic before I have to deal with my day in a way that it would not be absolutely possible if if I was trying to read print comics. So I love digital comics. I think it's a, it's a benefit to the medium, not a deficit. I love that I wake up in the morning on Tuesday, roll over, grab my iPad, and download all my DC books. I'm still in bed. I haven't got out of bed yet. To Wednesday? But, but I, I, ultimately, I don't care. Read them however you want. Like I don't, I don't feel partisan about it. Like it's all just a delivery device for the story, whether you're reading it on digital or paper. I like reading paper prose books. I like reading paper trades and card covers. But for years, I I was as soon as we got a hint, a whiff of 
digital, I was like, bring it. Because I didn't want to have the single issues anymore. I didn't want to have them around. They were just everywhere. I mean, it's easier. The only it's times easier. I buy print comics are to get gifts for Julie. I, I get old ones. Like you, People in the chat can see behind me. Again, the viewers at home can't see. But uh, I, I get old special issues. Not, like these, they're not viewers. I mean, they're not viewers. But they can, they can, they can still see. Um, that's think- it. Like artifacts. Artifacts. Like that Captain America or the Robin Dies at Dawn one or... Um, the flash the first flash superman race but like weekly comics like a random issue of some comic and they were piling up i don't want them anymore if they're special i'll buy the collection i'll read the collection in paper form these are my uh these are my blue light reading glasses now josh has reading glasses by the way ryan i don't know if you know that development <laughs> he's had to upgrade to reading glasses he's an old man um it doesn't it, it's it's the digital is so much easier when when we used to get um a going to the shop and like fucking buying comics whenever I could find time to leave during the day it was a huge pain in the ass. I don't have to deal with anymore. Two, we used to get boxes from Image Comics every week. We would get a box and it just fucking piled up everywhere, and I couldn't figure. I still have piles of them in like corners that I wasn't able to get rid of. Like, it, I don't. I mean, I don't want that stuff. I have this house and I, all the spaces that I don't want shit piling up. And because the weekly comics are so disposable, and I'm sorry, I've been doing this for 15 Most of them are. Look, you, most of everything is disposable. Most TV shows right. are disposable. Most music you is disposable. You don't go back to it. Like, it doesn't make sense to pile those goddamn things You keep the good up. stuff. You read the good stuff, but most 90% of it is disposable. And, I mean, enjoy it at the time, but it's disposable. And it's so much easier to just have everything on the iPad and read through it that way. And yes, the double-page spread... It's not the best part of it, but you know, I, like, I disagree with that. Actually, people, people in the chat were talking about that. Like, I love the fact that it's an unbroken image in the digital in the reader. Mm-hmm. It's not there's no like for me. No, literally, it just not, gets a little not, small, and I can't it's read not it. Not bent. You just, I mean, yeah. I mean, whatever. But like, you can zoom in on. But I like that it's a, it's an unbroken image. Comics are made that. made digitally, so they're optimized for the screen now. They're colored for the screen. They're drawn for the screen. So on the screen, they look. I think they look the best. They look better, I just, you know. I just don't like the thing where I'll be reading and then I have to go like this. And when I do that, the relative size of everything shrinks a little bit. It, it just wrecks my flow. But it's you got to get your glasses. You got to dig them up. Well, no, I just. I want you to get like the half. You know, like the. I'm not getting old man. Like the half one. I mean, it, it, it. Josh, you're not wrong. It's awful. I, I. Yeah. Like no. I, it just kills the flow. Kills That's the all flow. for me. It's terrible. I don't. I don't believe that. So that was it for the emails. We had tons. We didn't get to. I crossed out half of them. If you didn't get your email on the show, I apologize. Feels like there were fewer emails than last time. Nope, almost the exact same number as last well, time. I, I just caught I a lot of them because you are. I'm worried about you. Also, I got to eat. So that was it. Contact.fanboy.com is where you wrote in to get your email on the show. And if you got your email on the show, awesome. If you didn't, I apologize. Like I said, we'll, we'll try to get to them on the regular show. And we're going to plug some things. It's plug time. This is the time of the show where everyone turns off the show. Plug one. Bye. Plug two. How do we know that? Plug because one. people keep asking us where our Shang-Chi review is. So this is how we know. It's like a, you know, like in Spycraft, like they put out, the, they give everybody like a different fact and which one leaks out they that's how they know who did it this is how we know when you turn off the show you know uh you know what my answer to people now is when you're going to do that interview who dm me mm-hmm. it's go fuck yourself <laughs> I, I might not write that and i might not say it but i sure as shit think it well josh's getting tired all right out now right now 
if back in the feed, we got a bunch of shows. We have. I'm going to go in reverse order from most recent to least recent. Josh's Matthew Rosenberg talksplode. Hey, a talksplode. It happened. Someone called the Guinness World Records people. I I never doubted Josh. That was a great conversation. It's a good book. You should get that book when it comes out. And that's out behind this show on the feed. Right behind that one is the Media Explode, in which we talked about disaster movies that had a great time doing it. We're gonna rebuild. There was a disaster movie question we skipped, but we're gonna we're, we can go back to another time. What are you gonna do? Uh, and then behind that is the special edition Batman: Long Halloween Part Two that Ryan missed. What? Why did, were you having a baby? Why did you miss it? You were having I, a baby. I had that's zero why. babies, but a baby did appear in my life. You had that? Did you watch that one, Ryan? Did and it won't go two? home. I um, I hit the button to play it and then <laughs> fell immediately asleep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing at your face and then Josh's uh, commiseration face. Uh, if you have a moment while you're up feeding, it's excellent. Part two, part one oh, sucks. Good. Part two is excellent. Good it's like its own movie. It doesn't need to be part two. Later this month. There'll be another Talksplode, Josh? Yep. All right. And then later this month, there'll be an animated Brain Trust episode on Injustice. Maybe Ryan will join that one. Maybe not. We'll find out. It's almost like a fun game. And then also, because we promised it, and I'm increasingly regretting that promise, we'll have an animated Brain Trust on What If. Huh. Um, and then a reminder. Of, a reminder I forgot here. about that show. turns out there's three episodes that I haven't watched. Yeah, I'm too behind. That's kind of boring. Uh, reminder, no Shang-Chi review until it's on streaming, which is November 12th. Now go fuck I, yourself. I'm saying this for my health, apparently, because no one is listening. And then Ryan, talk about science. <laughs> this, this, this Connor just turned into an old, cranky Jewish man for a moment. <laughs> Ryan, science sort of tell us about it. I do a podcast. Are you still doing it? Trying, man. <laughs> just, just <trying> to... <laughs> He's trying a lot right now. <laughs> Um, oh, every, every once in a while, I think to myself, when will Josh ask me to be on a talk explode? Well, he might ask you, he's getting desperate. Which, you which don't makes, make comics. It makes no sense that I would be on a talk explode. Maybe you can interview Josh for episode 100. Dude, I would interview the It shit makes no sense of, that I would be on talk explode. I would, I, would, I would interview the shit out of Josh. I would do such a good job interviewing Josh. <laughs> Wow, that guy, that kind of, that kind of sexy. Where all the truth came out. I would interview you slowly, and then later <laughs> I, would inter- I would interview you with more. Custom. You'd feel it. You'd feel it. Oh, oh boy, <laughs> this is gonna get us the the mature label on iTunes. This iTunes is not even a thing anymore. Head on over to iFanboy. Welcome to Burger King. We take your order. By the way, Ryan, I texted Mike and said, Ryan is hammered on the show right now. You might want to come check it out. I don't know if he did or not, but... Um, we all live in hope. We all have stories. Ryan, your show. Is it still coming out? Not? Yes? Sciencesortof.com? What did I say? I said I'm trying. What, what do you need? Do you have partners who can put it out in your absence? No, they... they no. Literally the entire tenure history of my show has been a uh, uh, an exercise in how no one else can do it but me, apparently. Welcome so. to our lives for the last 
15 years or whatever. It is. <sighs> I am trying. Listen, I'm going to take a break in the script here and read for the uh, listeners the scroll at the bottom. I don't know if you guys have noticed the scroll at the bottom. I put in some fun, I fanboy fun facts for this episode. Pick League episode number one was, was released November 5th, 2005. And the top five most Pick League appearances, number one, me, 739 shows. Josh, 731, just not too far behind. Ron, 458, Paul, 122, Ryan, 37. Longest Pick League show was episode 650 at three hours, 33 minutes, 40 seconds. Where, I mean, you want you, are you trying to make us hang out here for another six minutes? Top five most used music artists, Josh. These are going to be very familiar to you. Texas is the reason 24 times. Jimmy World 13 times. A tie between Darlene Love and the December is 12 times. Huh. Bad Religion and Dinosaur Jr. tied at 10 times. And Each? Cake and the Descendants tied at seven times. So those are just all my favorite bands at the end there. <laughs> Shortest pick of the episode, number one, 18 minutes, 53 seconds. <laughs> Top five most picked series on the show. Not all time because we did five years of without the show. Batman, number one, 21 times. Daredevil, 17 times. Number three, tied between Captain America and Detective Comics, 12 times. And Action Comics and Thor. No, The Amazing Spider-Man tied four for number four, 11 times. And then a tie between Fantastic Four and Thor, Mighty and God of Thunder. It's the same series, 10 times. And then the most number of books covered in one Pink the Week show was episode 335, 42 books. Jesus fuck. That was a bell show. I would hope the so. Pick of the Week errors by the number of episodes. Number one, the original trio, 370 episodes. The Two Jumokes Part 2, which we're currently in, 190 episodes. Ron Returns, 118 episodes. The Paul Era, 99 episodes. And Two Jumokes, that's the original Two Jumokes Era, 20 episodes. And the first ever Pick the Week guest host, episode 44, Alkady Blake Jr. So <laughs> let's go back to the script. Josh, you're up. Uh, so that's it. Go over to ifanboy.com. You will find those shows. You can listen through many of those things. Uh, there's also a bunch of writing from people like Ryan, like uh, Jim in the in the chat there. I don't know if he's still around. Uh, I mean, I know he's still alive. I mean, on the chat, <laughs> <laughs> I think he died in the course of this show. Uh, he and might have. People. Would you yep. blame him? Many Bothans died in the course of the show. Would you that's... blame him? No. Um, I'm gonna call Julie tomorrow. And make sure Ryan didn't die in the course. Of the show. Uh, <laughs> you can like, uh, you can like Facebook.com/slash/ifanboy, or at ifanboy on Twitter, or at ifanboycomics on Instagram to find out what the pick of the week is before the show comes out. Those are that's pretty much all we do with those. There's some sometimes there's uh, best panels of the week. Sometimes we don't sometimes. get those. Sometimes, but Depends that's not busy. The weekend is. It's honestly. a bonus feature. That's yeah. what that is. Uh, you can follow us individually on at uh, on Instagram at cs Kilpatrick, J A Flanagan, or Hauft. H-A-U-P-T. You should change that to Dr. Haupt. Uh, or Ryan Haupt on Instagram. Wait, no, you're Haupt on Twitter. D- Ryan Haupt on Instagram. Sorry about that. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta smooth that out. Tighten that up. You gotta keep it tight, Ryan. Keep it tight. Subscribe to our YouTube page at youtube.com slash iFanboy to keep up to date on the old video show re-uploads this past week. It's the movie review many have wanted. Can, yep. I, can I just say Loom of um, Fate? Well, Don't slow me down. Wait, Emerald no, City no, Comic Con 2010 then, comic book voicemail show. Okay, go ahead. What Patreon level do we need to get to that I can come on a grilling show? Gotta, I the mean, next we, we have to get to the grilling one. That's the next one. So we got comic TV shows and then grilling. 
You're welcome. You can you can come on. If, if we just get to the grilling one, you can come on. I know, yeah, absolutely. It doesn't have to be a special. We level. know that, but you, we got to get to it. It's a, it's a level, but Comment. you got to get to it. Um, Josh, they want you to strum us out while I do my final segment on your guitar, if you're willing. My hand oh, still like hurts. Like, okay, Josh is going to also angry. Also, it's 1230, and my wife is sleeping on the other side of that wall. She's probably already mad at me. Just tell her to call Ryan and yell at him. Uh, if you like the show, write us a review or leave a star rating on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, wherever your podcasts are sold, or whatever aggregator you're using, or better than that is word of mouth. Tell your friends, tell your mom, tell your kids, tell your letter carrier, tell your wife after you wake her up at 12.30 with your guitar that it was all about the show. Word of mouth is a great way to help the show. Spread the love. Thank you very much. We appreciate everyone who does that. Ryan, thanks for coming on, and we apologize for everything. I apologize for nothing. How are you gonna I feel? I kind of feel like I'm in the wrong here, but I don't You're not in the wrong. Here. You're not in the wrong at all. Are you kidding me? This was fantastic. Uh that's it for this week's show. Until next week, I am Connor. <laughs> Ryan, you're in the script. Thanks, Ryan. You're on Hang on, wait. Uh, let me just check the script. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Look at that. Out... I, <laughs> I don't I don't know how much that he's playing it up. <laughs> but I hope none of it. I hope that I hope with every ounce of my being that this is a hundred percent like just some confused motherfucker on a computer with a microphone. He's just trying his best, but things are moving too I fast. Snorked. I snorked the way none can do. Turns out I am Ryan. Think of words <laughs> for better or worse. I haven't even seen him with a drink in an hour. Did you have some, one drink? This. What was the proof? 400 proof? Listen, listen, Big Bob. <laughs> like, I, like, I don't know if this is my perspective because normally I don't think super drunk people are very funny, but this shit is fucking hilarious. <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's a newborn fatigue that's mixed up with it, and that dude just drink. He, he only has slept in two months, probably has dragged much to drink. Like, yeah. Big, Bo- Big Bob does a nice job. Boss Dick Bob. <laughs> Someone end the fucking show. All right, that's it. I'm Josh. Go go to bed. Just uh, wherever you are, I don't care what time it is. I don't know when you listen to it. Go to get to bed. Will you please get a go to bed? I'm okay. Connor. That's the show. Thanks for hanging out, everyone in the chat room who stuck around. We've lost about a quarter of the listeners in the last hour, but that's okay. That's it's late. They blew it, I think. Um, there was one question I did want to answer. It was from Kyle, who said, "If you get the grilling level at Patreon, for, is it for once a month, or will you do it just one time? It's not once a month or one time. It's a quarterly barbecue show, so it'll be four times a year, in some capacity. Some capacity. 
<laughs> Shaggy Brown 1969 says, Ryan's hair just getting looser and looser. And I looked over at him and it does. He looks like he looks like he was in Hamilton in the first act and it was okay. And at the end, all the shit has gone wrong. Yeah, it's not it's not going great over here, folks. <laughs> I disagree. You look like Charlie Day right now. <laughs> Oh, I really thoroughly enjoyed this. Thank you for all hanging out, all the viewers at yeah. home, uh, the viewers to come later and endure this. We know they're not viewers. We know they're not viewers, but thanks for watching. And uh, I, I had a great time. I don't know about you guys, but I really enjoyed this. <laughs> oh, boy. Listen, I, I, I've recorded <laughs> in a space where I know there's a bed available if I need just... Not you just roll over to. I feel kind of bad, Josh, that we may have broken Ryan. I, I think I think that we've opened him up. I'm not doing great. <laughs> Somebody should hand you a screaming baby right now. Oh, I did want to. I did want to give a shout out. I, there's a, there's you see a, that fucker turn around you. I did want to make a note. I did want to shout out to Jack in the chat room who, uh, through the course of a year of listening to podcasts, including ours, and walking, has lost 120 pounds. Holy so good, fuck. good job, Jack. To uh, I mean, if we were all at a help in that, thank you. Oh I'm not thank you. You're welcome. I don't know what's happening. It's late. I haven't eaten dinner yet. But that's awesome, Jack. Oh, that and, is. That's uh, amazing. Good job. So thank you for watching. I'd love to hang out, but I do need to eat. I got so go. we'll late. hang out another time. Next time we have a patron hangout. Maybe Ryan will come during the next Tiki hangout. Maybe Ryan will come back someday. We don't know. Maybe Julie will let us talk to Ryan again. That's a good point. In ten too. or fifteen years, she's the real hero right here. <laughs> that was the correct choice. Good answer. You could have gone in a very bad direction, but you didn't. You pulled out. <laughs> and I, I was kind of like, "Ooh, where's he going here?" Okay, good, good choice. But just for a second, I thought, "Oh, this could happen. <laughs> this could be bad." We were there for the beginning, and we were there for the end. <laughs> Cause of both. We caused it to happen. We caused it to fall apart. Damn right. Anyway, goodbye, everybody. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening for these last. Uh, what is it? Sixteen years. years. Sixteen yeah. years. Yeah. Thanks for sixteen years of listening. We've enjoyed it, and we're going to keep going as long as we're enjoying it. As long as you're enjoying it, and we'll see you next week. Bye bye.